I like these comics. Is that wrong? Uh, yes, Graham. It's wrong. Hello, Wadnuts. Welcome to Baxter Building, where myself, Graham McMillan, and his self, Jeff Lester, we talk about Marvel's Fantastic Four, apparently the world's greatest comic magazine. Uh, we talk about the first volume of it, and we are, Jeff, this is amazing, we're in the final quarter of the of the series now. Yeah, that's... Like, that's these issues. Sooner. Isn't right. that nuts? Yeah, that really is. It's crazy. Uh, how, how, how did that even happen? Anyway, uh, we are doing... Uh, Issues 304 to 313 and Annual 20. The people who've been paying attention might go, you didn't say Annual 20 last time. I didn't. I completely didn't know that this, uh, these issues <laughs> cross over with Annual 20. And I didn't know that until I read it. And then I was like, oh, I guess we're doing Annual 20. Thankfully, Jeff had exactly the same impulse. Otherwise, this might have been awkward. Yes, exactly. Although it would have been great. It would have given you a chance to talk about... Uh... Steve Englehart's double bubble of an annual. So, uh, but no, uh, without me able to interject things. But no, no, sadly for all involved, I get equal Sad, say. Sadly, nothing. This is great. These are the issues where Steve Englehart comes on board. And I've got to tell you, Jeff, I love these issues. Yeah. I love I loved them so much because mm-hmm. there's something about Englehart's really kind of shitty soap opera that just works for me. Oh, my God. Oh my god, it's kind of the laziest, crappiest soap opera, and I am so happy that it is here. Well, I gotta tell you, Graham, there's a couple of things. I I have multiple theories about this, but um, uh, as you know, you were doing the episodes of the Baxter Bungalow, which was doing the separate reading of the episodes of The Thing that, you know to a lesser and greater degree lead into the stories here, right? And I think for myself, Byrne did, for whatever his other faults, I think had crafted a Fantastic Four comic book without Ben Grimm in it, which is kind of an amazing achievement. Yeah, it, it felt like the FF. It felt like the FF without Ben Grimm, which is I mean, that's that really is. I, I I didn't quite realize how stunning an accomplishment that is, really, until you get to these issues. Because, you know, Ben returns around what two ninety five, two ninety six, two ninety six, two ninety six yeah. is the anniversary episode, right? And then yeah, yeah, it's basically six months later, seven months. Englehart comes in and and steps in, and even before Englehart steps in, Ben has basically overshadowed everything in the book. Oh, yes. But as soon as, I mean, really, probably issue 300, maybe mm-hmm. 301. Right. It becomes the Ben book. And yeah. and especially on her angle heart. Right. We'll see. And Th- that's, this is that's essentially it. a Marvel 2-in-1 comic featuring some other characters. Well, yeah. Uh, especially when you get to some of that stuff where it's like Ron Wilson, you know, comes in. And I, it's just... 
it's really and I think that's the thing that sort of throws me is is that we went from a book that was very very modulated to a book that was floundering to Englehart who who has a a strong sense of direction or at least is able to fake it like just about nobody else and and yet what throws me is is that I mean it really is it's a vastly different book and there's a little bit in which Englehart is well, there's there's two things that's very odd to me. One one is is that Englehart is is kind of like it doesn't matter who you throw in the team as long as it's sort of as long as it's family, it's the Fantastic Four kind of. Uh, I don't even think he puts it quite that way because I'm like, who are these people? There's something about having Crystal return and the addition of Sherry. Is it Sherry? I don't know her last name. The Ms. Marvel. Uh, Sharon, Sharon, Ventura. sorry, Sharon. Yeah, that. Um, really, I'm like, are they? Like, I mean, and that's one of the. That's one <laughs> well, of those. Well, that that's one of the things I love about this. Yeah, as you say, Englehart comes in and immediately feels like he has a direction for the book. Right. It, it, and the book has felt. I think it's fair to say, directionless even from before Burn leaving the book. Yeah, but yeah, definitely yeah. since 296 has felt very much. Uh, and I think I said this last last Baxter building has felt like it's been playing for time, perhaps knowing that Englehart was coming on board. Mm-hmm. But Englehart hits the ground running mm-hmm. and, and knows what he's going to do. Right. But it goes from a book about family to a book about uh, post-family, I guess. Uh-huh. Or, or a book where it's – where the subtext is pretty much, oh, he's trying to build a new family and he's doing a terrible job of it. Well, yeah, I mean, right. He's trying to build a new family and he's doing a terrible job at it. I mean, that, and I think there's something that's really might be worth looking at. I mean, we'll see as things go forward, this idea that the, the FF, like, despite what you think about Reed Richards, he has a very traditional idea of family and therefore the team sort of always falls into that I that idea where, you know, basically that the team takes on the temperament of the person leading it and Ben as leader is dysfunctional as fuck and so the team itself is dysfunctional as fuck. But I, I think for myself, more than anything, what, what really causes me um, a certain amount of unease while reading the comics was a little bit about the that the, they're just there's a tonal whiplash in there and I don't feel like it's necessarily it's not it, I don't think it's unintentional but like Englehart's writing is in like like word by word cap, panel by panel blurb box by blurb box is really 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 up but yes. everything is dysfunctional as fuck, you know, from <laughs> the very first episode issue that has, you know, Quicksilver jumping in to fuck everyone up. It 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 starts from kind of a profoundly dark place and then just kind of stays there. I mean, you know, by the time that you get to the I want to die issue, which uh, which, by the way, it's actually called I want to die. Yeah. And, and really is like, uh, if ever there was a comic that should have come with any degree of trigger warnings, it's so there's there's a lot here, which is really like, on the one hand, part of me is like Englehart's ambition, his his 
desire to sort of play things forward, not back. And his kind of really just, you know, super minutia riddled version of the Marvel universe that is, that somehow doesn't feel as, as nitpicky as, as Burns. Um, all of that stuff should be like real ground. Like I, I didn't hate these books. I really did just tear through them, but they, uh, but I also found them like there's areas where particularly, particularly in trying to handle the traumas of Ms. Marvel, um, yeah, Engelhart seems it's amazing. The Ms. Marvel stuff in particular is like I, I read these issues when they came out and they came out in like 87 or so 88 yeah um, and I would have been I guess 13 then right and I was completely unaware of how I really enjoy Englehart's brashness mm-hmm. and like you said like his weird upbeatness while dealing with incredibly dark topics but I didn't realize until rereading them this time how tonally off the Ms. Marvel stuff is yeah because that is really uncomfortable in a way that a lot of the other stuff isn't. Yeah. And, it, and the other stuff should be. The Crystal thing in particular is remarkably upbeat considering what it is. Mm-hmm. But somehow that works for me in a soap opera way, in a way that like the Sharon stuff doesn't. And the Sharon stuff really is troubling. Well, yeah. I mean, Because it's, it's not that it's trying to play it for laughs. Right. But it's playing it so broadly that it's just really uncomfortable. Well, I th- and this is this is one of those areas where I feel like Engelhart has a lot of confidence in himself. He's tackled a lot of he's tackled a lot of uncomfortable topics and I think that God help us, I mean, you know, readers who haven't read these issues who are coming to them new like it's really we've touched on this a couple of times just how uh, frustrating and skin crawly it is to see men, white men who think that they are um, socially progressive for their age tackle things with, it seems like little more than just the confidence of, oh yeah, I know what I'm doing. I'm sexually progressive for my age, you know? Oh, which, which Eng- <laughs> like Engelhart personifies. Exactly. Exactly. It, it, in a way that, you know, we've had this conversation on the way what episodes about Alan Moore in mm-hmm. the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the idea that like, they may have been progressive for the age, but that doesn't mean reading it from today's point of view, you don't cringe. Yeah. And an Engelhart, I think more than almost any other comic creator, really, really straddles that. And and in some cases, like you know my love of Millennium and New Guardians. Right. Like, you know, Estrano still to this day I think is amazing. Mm-hmm. But is it a subtle version of a gay character? None the slightest. Right. But then you get to to Sharon and and We'll get there when you know when we get to the issues. But the short version is, she was raped by multiple men. Yeah, yeah, she was a victim of violent sexual assault. You know, and Engelhart's reading of this almost—I want to say like when said in the abstract—makes sense. Yes, I think. But right. in in the actual uh, in carrying it out. It reads so, again, I don't want to say comedically, because he's not playing it for laughs, right. but it's so broad that it practically is. Right. Right. You know? Well, it is. Which which really is, is 
problematic because you, and you have you don't have a sympathetic character within the book really because the most sympathetic character Sharon within the book is Ben and Ben from the get go is like well she's nuts well actually the thing that i think is fascinating to me is is that the the most impressive part of uh, Engelhart's run is how complex he makes Ben Grimm as a character. Like, honestly, I would say that the most sympathetic character that comes out through these runs of issues is pretty much Johnny Storm, who takes everything more or less at face value and try, deals with everyone in good faith. Whether or not that that continues on, I don't know, because there's a there's a hint of a turning point there at the end of issue 313. But at least through this batch of issues, what I appreciated is how much Englehart manages to make Ben a sympathetic character while doing things that are um, bl blatantly awful in some cases, it is, and Englehart knows it. And then there are things that are blatantly awful that I don't think that Englehart does know. You know, it's very uncomfortable in some ways to read these comics in 2017 and have Ben Grimm pull, literally pull a uh, not all men on, you know, on Sharon at one point during the course of things. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. it there's there's a way in which Inglehart, I, I like you said, it sort of sounds good on paper because what Inglehart is doing is he's making us look at this idea of Ben's a character who is who who has feelings for this woman who's been traumatized and literally can't bear the thought of men to the point where she can sort of only respond to him in the sense that he's not a man. And I don't know how to describe it. Like all of that, again, it's, it makes sense in a, you know, letter to a fanzine sort of way, you know, the, you know, well, sort of whenever I'm tempted to sit down and write the final days of the unfuckable four, it's like, well, well that's just it. Like it's fascinating to me because it feels like Engelhart is making a lot of your, I don't want to say fantasies, right. but a lot of your readings of the things into text. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like he very clearly makes Ben's, hang-ups about his virility as a man mm -hmm. into the text of the fucking comic right. in these issues right well and but though right and it 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 makes sense from the ben that we sort of have seen before certainly the way that the spin that burn puts on ben and his feelings of of masculine inadequacy you know that 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 he sketches out very strongly, but it's very, it's very different here. Like there's some real interesting points. We should just dive into it. I think issue by we, issue. We, so we that really we should. Cause, cause we're, yeah, we'll we're just talking sort of, generalities you know, talk, forever. So let's start with issue 304. The first Steve Englehart issue pressure drop. Yes. Uh, which is, if nothing else, maybe the best John Buscema artwork since he's come back in the book, in large part because Joe Sinnott's thinking again. Yes, exactly. The fabulous FF begin a dynamite new era as Stan Lee presents Pressure Drop, as it says on the first page. Yes. And and Engelhart comes in and and immediately starts 
sort of layering what he wants to do with the book, I think, mm-hmm. in, in a fascinating way. Because you get the characters all, within the first few pages, not only restate where they are emotionally, but drop hints about where the book is going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, by, by page five of the story, you kind of know the character dynamics of the book, where it's at, but there's enough of a hint about where it, it's it's going to disappear to, you know, because Reed even says, oh, Sue and I are leaving the team. You know, Englard literally comes in and goes, this is what the book is from now on. It's not the book you've been reading. Mm-hmm. But I also, I've been following on enough that I can restate where all the characters are emotionally. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I think one of the things that is a big advantage to Englehart is, is it's clear from issue 304, kind of, he knows where he's going, but unlike the last set of issues that we've had to deal with, um, he really, I think, comparatively takes his time getting there, you know, because it's it's at 304 on page two or three or whatever reads like, yeah, the that we're leaving the team. But you don't actually get the the them leaving until what is it like three oh three oh seven. Yeah, three oh seven. So he gives it a good three issues of I'm building the dynamics and I'm building the team and I'm sort of setting things up so that you understand sort of all the decisions that are made. And again, it feels it feels really organic in a way that uh, things have just not been on the book in a while. But um, but it starts off very oddly because in that sense of the jump from Reed somehow, again, there's a little bit of a gimme. You have to buy that Reed, after seeing Ben be more or less unwilling to greet, greet John and Alicia uh, as they come come in, um, he's basically like, okay, well, we're going we're gonna to offer you the chance to lead the team. And Ben's kind of like, ah, oh, it's charity, it's therapy, like, fuck that noise. Um, and, and and yet, of course, the convenient crisis strikes to kind of make everyone come together. That crisis being Quicksilver uh, dashes in out of nowhere, grabs Alicia um, to basically punish Johnny Storm, and... Uh, basically his big his big idea is he's going to leave Alicia in a building in the Bronx to let her you know blind eyes be chewed out by rats while he goes on to to plot his like um, his uh, attack on the West Coast Avengers Uh, since I'm recapping I might as well follow up Uh, at that point the original FF show up to try and beat Quicksilver Quicksilver does an pretty decent job of handing them their ass up until the point where Ben's supposed strategy allows um, Johnny the chance to to take out Quicksilver and everyone's like, ah, such good thinking, Ben. You really should be the leader. Um, And it more or less ends with Ben being like, okay, I'm going to take the job. I'll be the boss of the FF. But perhaps notably, he makes that decision only after he sees Johnny bring out Alicia, who's of course upset, and the two of them sort of comforting one another. It's only after Ben sort of looks at that 
and after John and sort of brushes off um, Johnny's attempt to reconcile that he's like, okay, I'm going to be the boss of the FF, which is, again, it's, it's, it's a, it's a relatively dark take. It's, it's a very dark take on Quicksilver who's been driven nuts by the fact that he really has had like the worst marriage in the Marvel universe. Uh, I think it's relatively safe to say, and good old Steve Englehart, whether he's intended to set this up perfectly or not, has set up, uh, it, it turns out that, that Quicksilver has found out that, that Crystal had an affair with, of all things, a real estate agent from New Jersey. In a series he wrote, in, in yeah. the Vision of Scarlet Witch Scarlet series he wrote. Series. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's got it set up so that Quicksilver has been driven mad by inhuman cuckoldry. And, uh, uh, and, and so it's fascinating to me that this whole thing really does... Englehart opens the run where the team is more or less brought together and reunited by an angrily bitter, betrayed husband. It seems like a very um, dark place to start from, I guess. While nonetheless, Steve Englehart, who pretty much is the master of the exclamation point, goes on to make this... Um, what would what would be a very dark place between the classic Basima Senate art and Englehart's relentless um, barrage of exclamation points seem like a, a pretty jaunty read. Well, one of the things I really appreciate is that it's Englehart knows exactly what he's doing. Mm-hmm. You know, Englehart has his use of Quicksilver is not accidental. Of course, not only does it set up the return of crystal in the next issue mm-hmm. but as you said having him be the cuckolded hero who has now turned villain because of this mm-hmm. allows him to act as a reflection of of ben who is simultaneously making bad decisions because of his own experience yeah you know mm-hmm. it, it's it's an and it's real i was gonna say it was done subtly but with steve Hart, nothing is subtle right but at the same time it kind of is done subtly like he doesn't there's no haha do you see what i'm doing quicksilver is ben mm-hmm. anywhere in the issue right which which is exactly you know? the the classic sort of thing that um that burn would have underlined with a highlighter you know oh yeah you would have had ben at some point realize that like mm-hmm. say it in 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 the issue the other thing i really like is Engelhart is he's reconnected the book with the, the marvel universe Quicksilver's appearance follows on from like West Coast Avengers appearances, right? Like in in the shit West Coast Avengers annual number one or something. That's right. It is when Quicksilver basically becomes a bad guy again, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it falls on from that. Right. So it falls on from that. It falls on from the the Vision and the Scarlet Witch series. One of the things that is appealing about Inkleheart is that he. When you say that it's reconnected with the Marvel Universe, we've had a lot of cameos and appearances, and but it never really feels the way that it feels for me when Englehart does it, because well, all it, of his exactly. characters are coming from somewhere and they're all going someplace. You know? Previously, when you've had the cameos, they've literally just been that. Exactly. exactly. Like Captain America will show up and just be like, hey, I'm Captain America. Right. And I'm here to throw a shield. The mm-hmm. end. Exactly. exactly. Whereas Engelhart does 
something that I'm not sure the books ever really did before, but like I imagine being the platonic ideal of Marvel, mm-hmm. which is a story starts in Vision and Scarlet Witch miniseries, continues through West Coast Avengers and Fantastic Four, and then will end in a different book. Yeah, which, which feels classically Marvel to me. Mm-hmm. And and so there's something really appealing about that, and this issue, and it's not just Engelhart's. I mean stunningly jaunty tone for such a dark story mm-hmm. and, and and when i say stunningly jaunty tone i mean and you know this already about me i'm a sucker for like engelhart's omniscient narrator mm-hmm. you know because that tone feels quote-unquote marvel to me as well that's right but you have that you have that the narrator who's like just you wait everyone see what's around the corner mm-hmm Mm-hmm. And you have the idea that, like, this book is taking place in the same universe as West Coast Avengers, mm-hmm. as Vision of Scarlet Witch, as, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. x Factor they run in these issues. That's right. You know, which just has not been the case for the longest time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this comic. Yeah, no, it's very much burn. Burned by contrast was a huge fan of, well, on the one hand, there were the big Marvel events where it's like Annihilus farts in the Avengers and they smell it in the Fantastic Four, you know, but then there's sort of the when he presents like Daredevil pop up for the 37,000th time. Daredevil is very much kind of, you know, he's Daredevil, but it's this very generic version. You know, and, and oh sure, it's uh, it, and it's it's Fantastic Four Daredevil. Yeah, do you know what I mean? Like nothing about that Daredevil will ever connect back to Daredevil's book. Right, exactly. Whereas, like when we have Captain America pop up uh, in the next issue, Cap is there literally just to sort of deliver Sharon into the story. It sets up her sort of basic little issues, I suppose, and then. And then Cap just goes right back into, you know, sort of his troubles. And it and what's great is it's so it's it just feels so particular because it is that idea of like if Burns going to introduce Captain Mar- Captain America, he's going to have Captain America be Captain America at his most Captain America ist to try and capture yeah. that platonic ideal of Cap like. Cap is just a delivery system to get Sharon there, and but it does it in a way that it's like, oh, I could go back and see, read Sharon's story and see how she got to here. I can see there's a few references to Cap that I could follow him out. And also it's just, it's for me, there's a little bit of a big fanboy of like, Jesus, that's Englehart doing Captain America again. And he, he kind of doesn't, really turn it into a moment the way that you would expect him to. You know what I mean? Like, Engelhart had an amazing run on Captain America. Amazing. And it's fascinating to me to realize that he's writing for Marvel at the same time that Mark Grunwald is revisiting a lot of Engelhart's right. original ideas from the run. Yeah, it, you know? it's nuts. Like, literally... You know, a year or so after this, mm-hmm. Grunwald replays Engelhart's Captain America quit storyline. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not even a year. It's if you look in the bullpen Bolton things, they have a quote from John Walker. It's during these sets of issues. I see. That's it, and it's nuts. It's so strange to think about. But like Engelhart returns at a point where 
he has become one of the influential Marvel creators himself. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's and it's it if, to my money, this is still Englehart on top of his game in these issues. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I for me, I think there's there's a ton here with Englehart that I super appreciate, and I'm a big Englehart fan. I appreciate what he's doing in it, even though it's kind of a little bit of I don't necessarily like it. But I do think if you compare and contrast just what he's doing here with the first few issues, and again, having Cap pop up without it not really being a thing, as opposed to the way that Roy Thomas literally issues the well it doesn't literally he he just he makes it sound like it's like it's me and John Basima on the FF everyone wow we're back to blow the doors off wow who could have believed this had happened it's me and John Basima guys FF remember I did the FF with John Basima that's actually exact that's exactly what Roy Thomas sounds like as well it, it, it's an amazing impression i studied the tapes i studied the tapes so uh so Graham, should we talk about issue 305 all in the family do you want to, is there more you want to talk about 304 that i missed i guess all i really want to say is 304 is such a wonderful statement of intent it is it, it in a way that the book hasn't had since burn started and on one hand sure burn is like maybe two creative teams ago right but in terms of like runs like this is that was what seventy issues earlier, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and also it's such a, uh, a statement of intent in a very different direction from what Burn did. Oh, very much. What what's that thing called that they sometimes play at the beginning of operas? You know, where the or uh, like I was thinking of it in Swan Lake, like the before they bring up the stage, uh, the bring overture? up the curtain. Yeah, it's like the, it's like an overture. It, well, I guess right where you basically run through all the major themes that are going to be in the piece that you're going to hear. Right, you know, in an yeah, opera yeah. thing, yeah, the overture. It's it's an it's it's a fucking overture issue, which is kind of kind of amazing. It's you know, it, it again. There's a statement of intent. It's ballsy. It's it's just a re- in a way. It's such a relief to have someone who is who's like, yeah, guys, I'm not gonna, I'm not killing time. This is gonna go somewhere. And also for me, for someone who seems to know what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Because everything since two ninety six, and and like I said, like even the, the final burn issues, mm-hmm. felt like no one had a direction for the book anymore. Mm-hmm. While I accept that you might not like the direction of the book that Englehart has, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Well, yes, no, he knows what he's doing. I appreciate the fact that, like, yeah, I'm not down with it, but I'm 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 impressed that he's going somewhere. Like I said, this. That place is weird and dark, and I'm not necessarily sure I'm into it. And I think Englehart gets out of his depth in some ways, and in some ways, it's just the sort of thing that the nature of times changing is not. It's it's not a good look in some cases. Yeah. But yeah. it's still. I'm so great. I'm really grateful that it becomes a book about characters again. And yes. again, yeah. it front and center it becomes a character it becomes about ben Grimm after him not even being in the book it slowly completely revolves around his reactions to everything that's going on and how that shapes the direction of things 
Um, and also that he's making bad choices, which is like that is a segue into yeah. three hundred five. Three hundred yeah. five, all in the family, is wonderful because not only does it continue the Engelhartiness of the whole thing, but as you said, it's it's very clear from this issue that it is a book about Ben Grimm, and also Ben given the the chance to be the decision maker, mm-hmm. other people don't like his decisions. <laughs> Yeah. Which is kind of great and and in, in different ways. So the, the big decision he makes in 305 is to invite Crystal to to join the team. Crystal shows up uh, essentially to to collect Quicksilver. Yeah. Uh, for want of a better way of putting it. Um, and and Ben decides that she should be the member. She should be one of the two members to replace reason two. Mm-hmm. And and he has his stated reasons, which are essentially you're not doing anything, and we used to work so well together. Right. But both Sue and Johnny are like, you are such a dick. You're clearly doing this because Crystal was Johnny's first serious girlfriend, and you're trying to cause trouble. Right. And one of the great things is, I'm not sure how conscious Ben was of that. Yes. And I love. The Engelhart just lets that hang out there. Mm-hmm. Well, he he does have Ben say like, "Kid, kid, kid, you act like I know what I'm doing. I don't. Did I pick Crystal because it'd get under your skin? Maybe I did, but she's the perfect choice for this team too." And and he says she's just what Reed said, a friend with good powers. And as a friend, she deserves our help getting through her tough times, right? Of course, if she did play around on Pietro, which is kind of, uh, yeah, I mean, you've got it right there. He's like, he is, he's playing both angles in a way that strikes me very much in, in a way, it's a very realistic portrait of a dude who's kind of, I'm like, no, I'm not a bad guy. I'm not doing this for bad reasons. I mean, of course, if I got to admit, I'm happy. If something happens. Exactly. Exactly. So... It's it which is which is it's pretty sophisticated and again it's definitely a natural progression from sort of Ben's previous um, I don't know where to describe it like the the rough guy who's good at heart and the selfish bully you know well that's just it so in the previous issues. You had Roger Stern try and fail to sell Ben as basically he's turned into a monster. Mm-hmm. Like emotionally, he's turned into a monster. Yeah. And Engelhart shows that he has turned into a monster, but in this completely different way. Yeah. Because it shows that Ben, even when he thinks he's doing the right thing, mm-hmm. Is so unaware of the consequences of his decisions. It's interesting. I I feel I feel like he's yeah. I feel like he's taking uh, maybe a... not unaware. Yeah. Um Is it that he doesn't care? Do you know what I mean? Like I feel I feel that there, there's yeah. there's an ambivalence. Yes. No. In no. 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 Reactions, as in like he really doesn't think about it, and then someone points it out. Like Johnny outright points it out. Yeah. And his response is, "No, no, you're totally wrong." But then again, yeah. Totally. Which which totally works as a oh this is the Ben we know, mm-hmm. but also he is much more bitter, yeah, and much more selfish, right. And, and as a result, 
he is more of a monster. Well, and this is the, and this is kind of again, it this is it's a it's a beautifully natural progression for the self-pity that Ben has always had, you know? That idea that it curdles a little bit to the point of cuz basically at the stages when uh, you know, when Johnny says, you know, and what would cheer you up, old buddy? having my first real love around while I'm just getting my marriage started. And Ben says, my first love's around. Have you forgotten that? You know, and it, and it is a kind of, well, that doesn't justify anything. Of course, you know, it's, it's still not good, but, Mm -hmm. but Ben and Ben basically plays the bully card of like, well, if you don't like it, you can leave. And then, you know, which again is, is wonderful. Yeah. Because you have, just an issue ago, Ben goes from you guys are just wanting me to leave the FF right. out of pity. Yeah. And then the, the next issue, he's like, okay, fine, I'm the boss. You don't like it? Go. Right. Right. And so there is a way, like, again, depending on how you look at it, the end of the previous issue has him seeing Johnny and Alicia together and then deciding to become the boss of the FF. You know, like, is it is it the page before where everyone's saying, like, no, you're really a good leader, and he realizes it's not just something, it's not just pity, there is something to it? Or is it this, oh, here are the people I love who I feel betrayed me, I can make their life hell? Or is it both, you know? Yeah, that's what I love, because yeah. I genuinely think it's both. I think it's both as well. And th- that makes Ben infinitely more interesting character agreed agreed you know it's uh you know yeah it's it really is fascinating um and and so uh, elsewhere in this issue after he invites crystal johnny and ben literally have a an old-fashioned marvel super-powered fight over it yep um which leads to johnny not leaving the team, but actually, no pun intended, storming out of the of the building mm-hmm. with, with like uh, he can't push me around, and Alicia has to talk him down. Right. Uh, and Sue then wonderfully has a heart to heart with Crystal that is essentially her saying, "Don't fuck Johnny around." Right. And Crystal saying, I, "I'm not going to." And Sue's response is great because Sue's response is essentially. I don't think you want to, but I also don't think you're not going to, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, which again, we get into this very, very soap opera idea of, of relationships and how they work, but also a very realistic and complex one. Well, that's it. I think, I think that is the part, the idea that, that Sue takes Crystal at her word, but doesn't believe her at the same time, like sort of doesn't doesn't trust her even though she believes her i suppose yeah exactly i know you it's essentially i know you don't want to however however that being said there is something that's kind of um you know and and this is the problem for me is is that this is precisely where some of the Engelhart problems uh begin for me is literally at this point of everyone's kind of like oh well you know crystal had sex with another dude while she was married she's clearly a nymphomaniac that will like exactly fuck she's, anyone. Well, well, 
Exactly. She cheated on her husband, therefore she's going to destroy Johnny's marriage. Right. She will in no way respect his marriage, and if she decides she wants it, she's going to have it. Which part of me is kind of like... And and what's creepy is Ben thinks this, and Sue thinks this, and basically Englehart's kind of like, well... Waka waka, you know what I mean? Like he's kind of well, like. See, I I don't no, I don't think Engelhart is is the thing. I think Engelhart is trying to show up how limited these characters are, hmm. it, at least in Ben's case, because I think I honestly think Engelhart's take on Ben is he wants to be a good guy, but he doesn't really comprehend anything. <laughs> Well, and I think I think this really plays out when Sharon shows up. I okay. Well, the the Sharon stuff is another interesting little bit, which is wonderful and changes the book dynamic yet again. One of the things that's fun about Englehart is the way that he not he you know just in the space of the narrative that the issues that we're reading, he more or less like turns the knot three times, you know in a relatively small amount of issues. Like, it seems well, like... Well, every, every single issue until, what, three... Uh, in fact, pretty much until, like, 3.13. Yeah. If, like, every single issue of this run, he changes something very dramatic in the, the status quo of the book. Yeah. 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 It, Which makes for a really interesting read. It's funny that, you know, you said... It's a relatively slow burn in terms of changing the status quo, which is true because he does spend essentially like nine issues mm-hmm. remaking the team and other writers, I think, would have tried to cram all of this into like a double sized issue. Right. But he also does an awful lot each issue. Yeah, right. Which gives it which gives it the feeling of movement. And that is the thing that's great is just like uh, as as I think someone the editor mentions i think in the letters page for one of the last issues is essentially he doesn't he doesn't change who's on the team but he literally changes the members of the team so it's 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 a it's a fun way to keep you guessing but that being said graham i don't know i i want to give Engelhart as much credit or as be as generous to him as possible but there's no way that he can be his his whole point is this idea of like, oh yeah, she might fuck him. You know what I mean? In a way that's really that is it's it, not. It, it's yeah. It's it's uh, let's let's go with problematic, shall we? Yeah. So yeah. you know, let, so the end of issue three hundred five is that everyone is sort of concerned about what Crystal is going to do as part of the team. Right, but they are then interrupted because Doctor Doom just shows up in the foyer and says, "I want Franklin. Yeah, I'm here for Franklin. Yep, to be continued in FF Annual Twenty. Right, double double. <laughs> Here's the thing about double double. Besides the fact that it's a terrible name, mm-hmm. this issue really made me wish Engelhart kept reading the book. Yeah, this sounds like such a strange thing to say. But Con- considering love... how much we've trash-talked Reed Richards throughout so much of this. Mm-hmm. I love Engelhardt Reed Richards in this issue. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, FF Annual 20 is essentially the only traditional FF issue that Engelhardt will write. Mm-hmm. Insofar as it is the the FF for this book, for all intents and purposes, is the original team. Mm-hmm. And they are dealing with Doctor Doom. Right. Um, and it is very much a book about the importance of family mm-hmm. 
but yeah, it, it I, I love his read. I love his read. I love how fallible his read is, and also, and this speaks to like my ridiculousness, how much his read sounds like the read that we know. Yes, he managed to be simultaneously like a, a know-it-all who will talk in ridiculously complex scientific terms when needs be, mm-hmm. but he is emotionally more complex. Yeah, no, I I think that that is, it's great. I absolutely agree. The stuff in this, the moments where Reed, because uh, for, for people who didn't read FF20, the uh, Englehart takes a, one of the classic um, bits of the Doom backstory or history which is is that uh doom's mother ended up being her soul was forfeit to the to the nether realms and every year on midsummer's eve uh doom battles mephisto for to try and reclaim her soul and uh every year he fails and this is something that was set up back in astonishing tales i guess issue eight and so this really, really kind of old idea that's kind of like folded into Doom's, the fabric of his character in a way. Uh, Englehart takes that and is like, okay, I happen to know that, you know, Doom is like, I know that your son is perfectly capable of battling Mephisto and has seemingly beaten him before. And so therefore I'm going to use him to actually get my mother back. And it's... It's 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 kind of a this amazing mix of you know Engelhart being like yeah here's a story from the mid seventies and here's something that you guys had happen like a year ago that I had nothing to do with and here I am I'm going to recombine them and I'm going to throw in Kristoff getting away and becoming Doctor Doom again and therefore deciding the best thing that he can do is also show up for this thing on Mephisto, but of course his only interest is in actually killing Dr. Doom. It's kind of a big old, like, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a big, it's a big idea in the sense of it's big, flashy and visual. It's also a relatively standalone self-contained idea. And so it's just a great, it's a great story for an annual, you know? Yeah. It's, it's such a great story for an annual because it does so much and it ties so many different things together mm-hmm. and has so many nice ideas. Mm-hmm. For example, the robot that oh, yeah. Doom attacks the Baxter building with is abandoned by the FF when they chase after Doom after he's kidnapped Franklin. But because he's abandoned, Kristoff can use the robot who thinks he's Doctor Doom as well to escape. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a great idea. Yeah. Or at the end of the issue, the fact that Doom can admit his own fallibility. Yes. Makes the Doombots turn against him because for them, Doctor Doom could never say that he would do anything wrong. Yes. Which and I so for love them, that moment. It's, it's such a great idea. Yeah. Because for them, he can't be Doctor Doom. Exactly. Exactly. And and I do I do kind of there's well. We'll get into it because there's some weird stuff going on with the villain of the next arc that follows this that makes me wonder to what extent Englehart is is playing with the ideas of change. Because you literally have a situation where Doctor Doom has one minute of emotional growth and basically everyone's Pays like, for it. yeah, exactly. That can't yeah. that can't be the real Doctor Doom, which 
at this weird level of meta text, you know, that is very interesting. Englehart, oh, and that also is going to come up. Englehart's coming up to an issue where he brings in Diablo, who's like Burns' first villain. And is it's, it's, Englehart's playing with some stuff here. I, I don't necessarily know how to break it down other than that, but what's great is is that it is it's a big issue. I started off not being really down with Paul is it Paul Neary's art? Paul Neary. Yeah. yeah. His art I was like, eh. but I gotta tell you what really helps is for me, as the issue goes on, the art gets more Ditko like and I get more right. into there it. Are, there are crazy parts where you're like, first of all, not only is it Ditko like, I swear to God, it seems like he is tracing John Burns' Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> there are parts where I'm like, you are literally just fucking tracing John Burns' Doctor Doom. But you're right, there is so much Ditko in the art, mm-hmm. uh, especially the longer it goes on, mm-hmm. which is very, very strange. But yeah, I, I think Neary does a, a reasonably good job. I I have a, a lot of fondness for Neary because, again, uh, Mark Runemold's Captain America run. Mm-hmm. And Neary did a, a chunk of that. There's so much about this annual that I like. There's so much about this annual that I like, yeah. especially because, like you said, it's got it's got this big idea at the heart of it, and it manages to single-handedly do nothing. Mm-hmm. In that, you know, they they don't rescue Doom's mother, uh, Doom's inability to not betray people, mm-hmm. but them on the ass, uh, and. His, he, because he decides instead of having Franklin actually help him, he'll instead just try and sell Franklin's soul to Mephisto. Right. Um, you know, of course that's not going to work. It's a fucking Fantastic Four comic. Yeah. But the 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 idea that that's what did him in because he just can't help himself. Well, it's two parts because he literally says like he makes this impossible offer of like, you know, sort of. Give me Franklin, and I promise you that no harm will come to him. I give you my solemn oath that I will sacrifice myself before I allow him to come to any harm. And oh, I, like, I, I, get I the fuck out of here. Changes, I yeah. love that he then changes his mind because he's like, they said no, so I had to kidnap him. Now all bets are off. Exactly. And that's on you. And it is, it's one of those, I have to say, like, the second time I read this through, I get where, I get where Engelhart was going with bringing in Sharon and Ms. Marvel and all that stuff. But part of me is like, man, how great would it have been if Ben had asked Dr. Doom to become the fourth member of the Fantastic Four, you know? Uh, I mean, bear in mind that, well, I guess you don't really know this. You kind of see this later on, but Doom pretty much becomes a a, a supporting character in the book. Well, that that wouldn't surprise me because there's a couple of issues where, I mean, there's a point in this run that we're discussing where they're like, oh, hey, look, there's a parade. We got to go check this out. And Doom's like, ah, Doom loves a parade, you know? So right? he's like, yeah. yeah. I, I, but that's just it. Like, Doom and, and Black Panther, to a certain extent, become supporting characters for, like, a chunk of this run. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which, which which is great. And it, so they don't. he doesn't become a member of the team, per se, right. but he becomes a, a cast member of the book it, and not as the antagonist. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's true. He he does pop up in, in places. I have to say, there is one thing that is strange that I... When I was reading this annual, the fact that in the previous issue of the FF, people start calling Franklin Frank 
and then he's called nothing but Frank in the annual by I... everyone. It's crazy making. I couldn't believe how much I hated it. You know, I'm totally like, oh, yeah, okay. So you know, you're gonna have uh, you're gonna have Johnny Storm marry Alicia. Okay, terrific. But it's like calling Franklin Frank. Like, God, no, stop this. You know, because I think because it just suddenly happens and it's and it just keeps happening. Oh, God. well, it it not only it's like when uh, in the previous episode when all of a sudden everyone's like John instead of Johnny. Yes, right. You're it, like. For like fucking twenty five years, you've called him Johnny. Why is everyone now going? Well, let's call him John. It's like you've always called Franklin Franklin. Why all of a sudden? Yeah. Has everyone thought? Let's call him Frank. Especially because mm-hmm. let's be honest, he's not a Frank. He's he's not. He's so totally a Franklin. It makes every bit of sense. It makes every bit of sense. So yeah, the the whole Frank thing, creepy. I could I could have taken the Johnny to John thing a lot better. Weird weird that that's that's what what graded but it did so uh so yeah a really fun annual and again people you should know you can probably tell by now but i think if you listen to the wait what podcast you know graham and i are huge dave Engelhart fans i have to say Engelhart is a master at taking a regular comic tying it into the annual and having the annual you know, progress everything that he wants to do and function as a big dumb annual at the same time, which is so good. It's it it is again, like you said, kind of a classic Marvel, the platonic ideal of a Marvel comic that once you read as we have, it. I think at this point I've read all twenty uh, FF annuals, or I mean, there's not twenty of them because there's reprints, but however many annuals there are, I think I've read them all, even if we haven't discussed them on the podcast, and. That is a hard fucking thing to it it is not something that Marvel really does. It pretends to do right? a lot and almost yeah. never does. Yeah. We said how much we appreciate Engelhart's read in this annual. I really like Engelhart's Doom. Oh yeah. Engelhart's he Doom just, is one of my favorites, honestly. Oh he he just gets the the again, the melodrama. Yeah. And and the the overly grandiose language. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Uh, uh, over entirely it, it totally works for me well i i think he you know he's done doom memorably in other places the classic stiffing luke cage hero yes, for hire exactly. and and also some wonderful stuff i thought in supervillain team up uh so yeah it's no surprise that he's there that's part of me that's why part of me is like oh man if you've been another member of the team because ben promised to help him take latveria back but only after he did blabity blab but it goes a different direction, and honestly, we're probably all the better for it. Issue 306, I think, is where we land after the annual, which is... The Marvel Rage. Exactly. Exactly. Which, good job. And, and it's a pun, you mm. see, everyone. <laughs> it's a double pun. It, well, it is, right? On the Marvel Age and, of course, Miss Marvel's Ms. Marvel. Rage. Yeah. This is the issue that cements the fact that Crystal is now a member of the team. Yep. Uh, she, she, her baby gets dropped off by all of the Inhumans in a gloriously gratuitous cameo. Yeah. Uh, they spend like three pages being like, we are the Inhumans. This is Black Bolt. This is Medusa. This is the new nanny who's come to visit. Uh, and she is totally Mary Poppins because she even has the bag with the umbrella, which I love. Oh, I miss that. That's hilarious. Of course she is. And, but not only that, it then includes the appearance of Sharon Ventura, who 
it, it's it's uh, you know it's problematic. I I think that's <laughs> that's that's all we need to say. What? Actually, it's not. Sharon Ventura, as I have said in the Baxter Bungalow for for our Patreon supporters, Sharon Ventura is a a former supporting character of the Things solo title. She was introduced as a love interest. Curiously, she was introduced as the doppelganger of a love interest. Mm. Sharon, when originally introduced, was the physical, was identically physical to Tariana, the literally fictional love interest Ben dreamt for himself on Battleworld. Wow. They never really explained this. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they kind of hand wave away like maybe he saw a poster of Sharon or maybe he saw her before eh. but anyway Ben Ben is enamored with her from the get go Ben actually joins Team America I shit you not Jeff uh, to try and get closer to her holy shit but but that they're the Thunder Riders by that point they're no longer Team America sadly and by the time he does join and they built him a special motorcycle that has been especially reinforced so that he can ride it holy shit by by the time that that he does that she's left and so he's joined the thunder riders for nothing (laughs) which i love so much so much anyway um she is non-superpowered when she first appears and she eventually becomes superpowered by going to the power broker who is a a a minor league Marvel villain mm-hmm. who essentially gives people superpowers and then blackmails them as a result. The final issues of the things solo series is dealing with this plot mm-hmm. and ends with her having superpowers being given the name Miss Marvel. Mm-hmm. And then Ben, Ben just fucks off because he's like, I'm turning into a monster. I have to get away. The end. Mm-hmm. Sharon then shows up later trying to, continue slash finish the power broker plot mm-hmm. uh, which is where the assault happens that she references in in this, these issues captain america 330 through 331 and and but but sharon and ben have a, a significant past have a very very mm-hmm. important past by the time she appears so i just want to for people who don't listen to the baxter bungalow or people who haven't read the thing issues that's why sharon's appearance is not just a here's a random character no she actually is a relatively important character for ben right right which which i love in the terrific marvel way of i knew none of that uh other than just sort of what gets recapped but Engelhart makes it obvious you know like it's Part of it sounds amazing, particularly the shit with Ben Grimm on a special motorcycle joining Team America. Holy shit. And here's the thing. So he joins Team America and he leaves like an issue later. <laughs> and they let, just let him have the motorbike anyway. It's so great. Wow. Wow. So yeah, so she literally rides into the issue on page three on the back of Captain America's motorcycle. And like I said, Cap, who is this character that Steve Englehart uh, has a long history of who's literally in the process of having his stories um, more or less retold by Mark Grunwald. Uh, Englehart brings brings Cap back in part because that's where you know Sharon's story was last, but also to establish like you know it's kind of a shorthand of. If you want to show like the world's like the character that you can inherently trust 
you you bring in Captain America. And so Englehart's whole purpose is to show that Sharon can't doesn't even trust him. And it it shows this pretty significant thing of like she is not in a good place when we first see her from the very first moment and Englehart literally sums it up in two pages one of which is a full page splash but one of which is just her reacting so poorly to everything that Captain America is doing that you realize like she's in some tough she's in she's in rough shape one of the things I love about that as well is the thing that they use to illustrate her problems with Cap Mm -hmm. is such a weirdly shitty move that I can't imagine Cap making yeah. Which is Cap essentially like makes a grab for her cheek. Yeah. To say that she's like the colors back in her cheeks, which I just can't imagine Captain America doing at all. Yeah. As a shorthand, it works. Like I understand the, the, what's going on, but it's also like, really? <laughs> well, yeah. See, this is the thing of like it in, in 2017, you're like, maybe Captain America is a sexual harasser. Cause that's not okay. Right? Like, how do you think that that's okay? Like, it's clearly not okay. But the point that Englehart's trying to make is, is like, no, no, it's Captain America. You can trust him. It's really okay. And it's like, but no, that's weird and fucked up. Even the fact that she basically is like, I, you know, it's like, I don't need a bodyguard. I didn't, you didn't basically kind of like, I could have taken a train. And what, what happens, what sort of starts off is her being like, oh, thanks, Cap. And it sounds like, thanks, you really could have done all these other things, but instead you brought me up here, has the the turn of, you did this more or less against my will because you didn't trust me and you think I'm crazy and I'm not fucking crazy. Leave me alone, you know? She's like, I'm not a basket case. She's yelling this to Captain America on like one page. And you're like, okay, I see what Englehart's doing. But like you said, after that little thing, which is, which is where this is where the, the whole, the, the ballad of the problematic fave really begins in so many ways, you know? Yeah. So, um, what did you think of the full page shot of Ms. Marvel standing as stiff as a statue on a Manhattan sidewalk, watching him go but not registering what she sees. Many people come to the Big Apple every year. Many come to change their lives among the possibilities of America's most powerful and populous city. Few arrive with more power of their own. Fewer still have such a crying need for change. Well, first of all, Engelhardt's writing is the greatest. Of course. Secondly, I actually love the art for that panel. I do too. I Because do you too. see... And not only do you get the the clear visual of Sharon is literally standing on her own, and everyone is giving her space. Yeah. Like so, you, so you it's it's you know unsubtly going. She is standing apart from everyone else. The everyone else you see behind her. Yeah. Is great. Yeah. The 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 acting going on in that panel is so good. Yeah. I I I love it, and you just know. Well, I we don't know, but my suspicion is is that John Basima enjoyed drawing that page more than any other page in the issue and probably any other page in any of the other issues uh for that matter you know no i I think i think you're probably right Mm -hmm. i really think you're probably right because there's just there's such joy in that in those characters yeah there's so much time where he he's like i'm trying to catch these characters i'm trying to catch this moment and the way in which he wants to make it both 
timeless and exactly of the moment is 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 really enjoyable it's really a wonderful little page and it's interesting because it's also one of those pages that unlike the rest of the the issue senate leaves alone it looks a little underdrawn because i think i think senate does not touch it touch it up at all you know although i could be wrong yeah. you know but it yeah, does not... I, I i love it i i love that page a lot yeah. and and as i said like it really does the job as well yeah like it sells i think even more than the previous page it sells that sharon does stand apart oh, she's not part of of everything else because the rest of the team the rest of the book is all about crowd scenes and it's yeah. all about people working together and it's all about people being part of a community or multiple communities right. whether it is you know the the ff reforming themselves and coming to terms with who this new team is uh, and the various relations within that or the inhumans and the inhuman society reclaiming uh pietro as mm-hmm. as essentially their problem right um or pietro trying to escape that society mm-hmm. like the rest of the issue is all about how people interact with each other yeah and so having a page where you know sharon comes into the book and joins the book and the second page you see her in is her standing apart from everyone i think it's really powerful it, you know what's weird it also reminds me of dan klaus there's something about this one page where i'm like it's such a it's such a weirdly dan klausian page I think because of the cartooning in it and be, and because the more you, you stare at Sharon, Basima gives her a very awkward body posture, you yes. know, she, like it does not look natural at all. She looks super tense. Yeah, she, she does. She seems super tense. She's, you know, you can see the sort of the hunching at the shoulders and, but and then the garish costume contrasted with everyone else it's just it's a really sublime moment it i really is pretty pretty great that they that they worked that in there and that they made it work so um also i have to say because the very next page is them being like okay we're gonna let uh quicksilver out and uh crystal says confinement causes severe depression in him and he comes out and of course streaks out and tries to kick everyone's ass and gets away and would have done it if it's not if it hadn't been for Quicksilver of uh, Quicksilver of Lockjaw of all people to um snag him in mid run uh and and I have to say one of my favorite parts also of the issue is that Quicksilver looks at the inhumans approaching him and says always this cult bedevils me and I I love, I got to say, I love the idea of the Inhumans as a cult. I don't think that they are, but I love that that's how Quicksilver sees them. And honestly, if you ask me, it probably would have been a better way for them to go with the TV series. Or or, or the recent comics. And I say that as someone who actually really enjoys Al Ewing's uh, Royals. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if if instead of having two years of Charles Sewell trying to sell as like, you know, no, really, you guys, you are very interested in the new humans, as they called them. Mm-hmm. If, they, if, you know, they, they built on it as a cult, that, mm-hmm. that would have been far more interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think so, too. It's just one of those things that really kind of like, oh, ah, so it it sticks. 
they drag off Quicksilver, um, more or less disappears after that moment of, of trouble and stuff like that. Uh, Ben sees someone beat, sees Sharon on the street, he thinks, and he instantly dashes down and starts looking for her. And, um, basically we get the pages of flashback where we find out that, that Sharon has been, um, exposed to severe sexual trauma that that she was while held captive some of his henchmen became interested in me and i couldn't do a thing about it and it it gets creepier from there i have to say i i what's i don't want to say interesting but i mean interesting Mm -hmm. it is such a fucking disturbing plot like i can't believe anyone thought that plot was okay yeah yeah especially because ms marvel was a like was a guest star yeah so you have to imagine in captain america grunwald thought this is great i get to bring in a guest star and gang rape her yeah yeah like no right that's not okay well that's really really not okay exactly so fucking creepy yeah it, well, it is, but that's you know, but that that's the eighties. I mean, I want to say that's the eighties, but let's face it, this this is in the wake of of women standing up and saying what has been happening to them, uh, what has been inflicted on them by powerful men. It's, I mean, it's timely as fuck, but there is something that is, it's it's like looking through binoculars the wrong way. It really feels like here is a female character that is being subjected to this by powerful men, and it's not supervillains; it's comic book creators. You know what I mean? It's yeah. there's something there's a way in which Ben, the fact that you can take Ben and look at his issues with his masculinity his fears of masculinity as it gets reflected in this image of a neutered impotent man uh, monster that he actually prefers to being an impotent man maybe under one interpretation you know it's just an interpretation it's sort of implicit if the writer wants to deal with it it it's it can be mythic because you can discard it and you can come up with another reason but there is no other way to read Sharon's story, you know. Yeah, uh, it it is it's it's explicitly taking a, a female character superhero and doing something even kind of weirdly worse than fridging her, you know, and uh, and then being like, oh, but it's okay because we're really going to deal with the ramifications of that. But I guess what really really makes it not okay for me is I don't know if. Grunwald knew that Engelhart was going to pick her up afterwards. Right. Like, if for some reason, it's much worse for me that he brought in this guest star and did that and then was like, ah, not my problem. I'm like, that's... Uh, I'm <laughs> really hoping, because it's only two issues of Captain America, I'm really hoping that he was doing it to move things along for Engelhart. I mean, if we dug around online, hopefully we would know and find out, but... That's that's really I'm really hoping that and it would make sense. I want to say in that Engelhart wasn't Grunwald Engelhart's editor, at least at one point for West Coast Avengers. 
Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they've got. I, I'm sure. I'm sure they were in contact, but yeah. it's just because that's yeah, what I, I don't want to think. But Hang who on. knows? It, but, I'm know? actually going to look up when Captain America 330 was published. Yeah, it was. It was like a couple months before. Yeah, yeah. So I th- I think that it's very much like Englehart being like, "Hey, do me a solid," you know. You know, or maybe not. Maybe it was like, you know, the other way around where it's like Grunwald's like, yeah, I kind of want to do this story, but I feel kind of creepy because I don't know where I'm going to go with it. And Englehart's like, oh, hand it off to me. This is perfect. You know, because it is it's kind of it is one of those things where you're like, huh? Yeah. Where's the Marvel Age story that was kind of like, you know, with the pull quote at the end of the day, we decided rape was okay. You know, it's like, uh. How did they come about creating this 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 particular storyline? You know, it makes it's it makes sense in one way. If Englehart's like, oh, I've got all these bits and pieces that I that I, you know, have seen strewn around in the Marvel universe, and I'm going to take them and reconfigure them into this really fun shape. Um, and he's playing the hand that he's dealt. And it's another thing if he's kind of like, oh, but here's the hand. Like here, guys, make sure that this one character gets. heavily sexually abused because it's really going to pay off for my romantic subplot in the FF because, you know, because Ben's going to want to be able, wants her to validate his, his, his attractiveness, but, you know, but she refuses to, and that'll be awesome. You know, it's like, Steve Englehart, please. Well, yeah. I mean, Steve Englehart, please sums up so much of the run. (laughs) Oh, yeah, really. Seriously, after Ms. Marvel is uh, has her flashback, yep. and and you know Jeff and I both shiver and think, oh Jesus, what the fuck was anyone thinking? Diablo attacks just to distract us all. Well, although we should mention the one page because it is sort of meaningful. Crystal shows up uh, and has tracked down Ben and is kind of like because some of the comments that Johnny has made, she's like. Uh, it made me realize how upsetting the return of his lost love is to him just after his marriage to Alicia. And John and Ben's like, yeah. She's like, sort of like, Johnny and I were each each other's first love. Watching him hate me is painful. And Ben says, Crystal, watching him hate me ain't no Sunday in the park. But the whole situation's his fault. So whatever his problems, I'm doing what's right for me. Come on, tough it out with me. Which, again, is is it's amazing how boldly Englehart is putting that forward. Like, yeah, because he's, he's not underlining it, but that is, that is really horrible thinking. And is again, is classic Ben's mixture of self pity and bullying. And in a way, not too different from Dr. Doom's like, Look, you wouldn't let me. You wouldn't promise me your son, and you didn't take my word for it. So now it's all on your head, you know. Exactly. It's... I guess now I have to sell his soul to Mephisto. Yeah. If you just gone along with it, he would have been fine. But now I have to sell his I, soul. It, and it's your fault, Reed Richards. And here's Ben Grimm being like, "Look, you know, the whole situation's his fault." It's like, not the whole situation, Ben, and you know that. Fortunately for him and for the readers and for Englehart, uh, Diablo, the master of alchemy, shows up with a whole with his elementals, um, 
basically as an, what looks like is going to be an attempt to show Crystal kicking Diablo's ass again as she did back in FF 117, 118, which I have to admit, Graham, I read those issues for the podcast. I don't remember them at all. Yeah, I wanted to go yeah, look them up, yeah, but I, I was I, like... I'm sure they happened. Me too. I'm sure they happened. Yeah. However. Yeah. <laughs> Although that being said, we're coming up on some amazing editorial notes of things that did not happen. So that's going to be fun. Uh, <laughs> anyway, you would think it's for for her to kick their ass, but no, she quickly gets transmuted to solid gold by... By the Transmutant. Yes. What a great name. Yeah. Yeah. The Transmutant is a great name, and it is very much a John Basuma design supervillain, unfortunately. So. Exactly, which is to say. Eh. <laughs> he doesn't. He really just doesn't look like anything. You know, it's kind of like. Oh, John, right. John Basuma's designs are amazingly generic, and the Transmutant perhaps the most generic of them all. It really isn't and, and that way. We say that when John Buscema is like, here's a dude and he's wearing purple jumpsuits. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. Completely. It is amazing how much that is not his ball of wax. Anyway, so she's been turned to gold. She's not going to be have her elemental powers fight the rest of the element-based creatures that Diablo has summoned. Again, a little bit in a um, an echo of Burns first FF issue the original FF show up and uh, begin to get their asses kicked pretty significantly uh, and it's only by Ms. Marvel sort of coming back after you know hearing the hubbub and basically pounding Diablo to a fine paste about ready to kill him um and and uh it's pretty interesting the fact the fact that ms marvel uh beats diablo ben stops her and says like cool down this ain't no way for us to have our reunion and she's like reunion i was trying to get away from you until i heard the commotion in the streets and ben does his patented oh for a minute i forgot forgot i was a monster thanks for saving us anyway which sort of breaks through sharon's facade uh, and sort of sets the tone for their dynamic of, no, wait, you're not fucked up. I'm more fucked up than you. It's like, I hate men, especially the smug mons reveling in their power, but I I could never hate you. And to which he says, you're saying I ain't a man? Not like them, not with their, with their mustaches and brutal hands. You're the thing. You told me you'll never be a man again. I don't know what to do, Ben. I wanted your comforting spirit near me, but I felt so ashamed, so useless. I'm so confused, Ben. I want to be strong, but I don't know. Tell me, Ben. Tell me what I should do. And he basically says, oh, I'll tell you, you're going to join my Fantastic Four, which is a, a really interesting direction there that people would be like, what? If they if they it, haven't it, been it, it is so great because, again, it is Ben going... Yeah, maybe I am a good leader, but right now I'm also terrible. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it... And that what's again, what again is interesting is Engelhard knows this because right. the characters will like Ben will say this really soon. That this was a terrible, terrible decision. Oh, uh, one of the things that's interesting, and one of the things that's tough is, is I kind of like how well Engelhard strikes his tone of. I'm doing it because you need this, and this will heal you, and it will help you. I'm also doing this for me because this is going to help me. And 
it's going to help me in a way that is entirely selfish and and wrong and and the emphasis of a bad leader it's um again it's like i admire it i so admire it in the in the abstract but reading it is like this is some really dark stuff and it's and really dark stuff and, and you're not uh, um, i might be projecting onto you here mm-hmm. but there's a sense of like i'm not sure this is what fantastic four is supposed to be well no i mean I, I sort of have that same feeling. There is a little bit when you say that it's like, you know, at some point it, it's like it almost feels like Marvel doing one. It has gone from being a book about a family to, like you said, a book about a very damaged, bitter man trying to make a family and trying to heal people while at the same time trying to get his selfish, darker desires yeah. fulfilled. Yeah, uh, trying to trying to heal some people. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he. I I would argue he's probably trying to heal Sharon. Yes. He might be trying to help Crystal like I, that. Yeah. I I honestly have no idea if he is or not. Right. But I think he is completely comfortable with the idea of hurting Johnny in the process. Completely. Completely. So you know, which is a, a fascinating dynamic for this book, mm-hmm. it, and and particularly for this book a book which has to this point been about the the value of family and and family as a positive thing and family as a as as something that will save you and then it becomes this other thing so out of curiosity this is very much an inevitable i mean it's it's Engelhart's spin but this is everything that Byrne was building toward. You know, he essentially had it so that Reed betrayed Ben and then Johnny and Alicia, if you want to look at it this way, betrayed Ben. And so he comes back to this. Where do you think? Do you know where Byrne was going to go with this? No. If he I, if I if things? I was to if I was to guess. Mm-hmm. I think Burn would have gone somewhere much more pat. I think I so think too. Ben, I think yeah. Ben would have come back to the team and everyone would have forgiven him. And I don't think we would have gotten here at all. Yeah. I I I think I think I think it's interesting because part of me feels that I think we would have had Ben on the team and he would have been it it would have been Burns like okay now we've got a reason why Ben can be a a bitter prick again kind of here's a reason why he's bitter and self pitying maybe and feels maybe alone. where Stern was going yeah like, right maybe maybe Burn would have ended up where Stern was taking it you know well maybe I don't know I mean it is very strange but we are deep down the alley of Engelhartville we are uh, at uh, FF three oh seven. Goodbye. Goodbye. (laughs) The FF reached the the day they never thought would come as Stanley presents Goodbye. And I have to say, I love that splash. I really do love that splash page. Especially, um, so the splash is, we should explain, Sue and Reed and a wonderfully smart looking Franklin. Yes. (laughs) Franklin looks amazing in the splash uh, in civilian clothes. And and the fact that, you know, the goodbye is the title of the the issue. It's very clear they're leaving. In fact, it's very clear because they're surrounded by luggage. Yeah. 
Yep. And and you know, not a dream, not an imaginary story. They leave the book with this issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's interesting how much this is a mirror of. There's a previous issue of the FF that we read that was sort of the. I think it might have be a deliberate thing of when Reed and Sue leave the team uh, after the birth of Franklin. Is it is it Reed and Sue? But then it's like Crystal and or is it Reed? Like no, I did. Reed, Reed doesn't. Reed doesn't, doesn't really leave. leave. But I remember. Isn't there Sue some leaves. sequence where they're like basically they're they're supposed to be leaving and like i think the silver surfer comes back and they're on like a train or something like that and there's all these catastrophes ripping through the planet and sue's like for god's sakes reed we, you know we said we were leaving the team and he's like i you know shut up woman i can't see i can't Wait, so. which, which you have in this issue mm-hmm. except he can mm-hmm. like you you have the exact same thing they were they're on route Mm-hmm. to to their new lives yeah. and the ff is attacked and reed has the moment of like i have to go back the team is my life and sue and specifically franklin have to say no we're your life that's right you yeah. have to you have to leave the team mm-hmm. we are more important and reed has to say oh you are yeah you're, you're right you are more important than the team right which is a it's a wonderful little moment in the issue and again is one of those things where it's like it's good that Reed's leaving the book and it does a lot of very smart things, but it is, it is a shame because Englehart does do him in a way that I, I, he's recognizably Reed Richards and yet not the Reed Richards that makes me want to tear my hair out. Which, which is so, it's what's so interesting. Englehart brings a human side to Reed. Mm-hmm. He, he makes the, the myth of Reed work. Mm-hmm. Because he ultimately shows Reed as fallible and emotional. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And that's a Reed I, I would happily read more about. Yeah, because we've seen so little of it. So it's like, oof. Ah, oh, gosh. Well, so, Graham, let's have you recap but this d- issue. D- it like doesn't I matter. He's out. The short version of this is as Reed and Sue prepare to leave. And in fact, do leave. You, you see them. The, you see the goodbyes, a, including. I, I, I really like Reed's goodbye to Ben, or really Ben's goodbye to Reed, which is essentially, take care of them or I'll beat you up. Yeah. And and, and Reed's, like, actually, like, I don't know how to describe his response. His response seems to be embarrassed. Yeah. As much as anything, which I which I really like. Mm-hmm. Like he he's, he he clearly likes it. He clearly appreciates it, but he, you know it's not just like oh you son of a gun. He seems to be taken aback by that. Yeah, which which I I really like. Um, the the team then takes a break from each other. Johnny goes back to check on Alicia. Meanwhile, Diablo is is escaping. Sure, he's all beaten up, but he's not really beaten up because magic. Dude, um, Graham, this this is this is why I probably should have recapped this page, because for anyone who has a beard or a mustache, you get the ultimate page. Diablo, who's lying broken in a hospital bed, is able to suck on his mustache 
and because it's been coated in a mystical potion, he regains all of his energy and is so filled with vitality he's able to recap his own origin. But, dude, Graham, I'm telling you, for guys like me who have been lying there kind of completely without any vim or vigor and find an old piece of food in their beard and then eat it no. and feel better, this no. is this is no. the superpowered equivalent no. of it. No. <laughs> no, I no, I refuse to believe that you're lying on the couch sometime and you're like, oh, I've just I I just found this. I'm gonna eat it. No, no, no. Well it's We're... been in your beard. You know what I mean? Like and it's it's no. relatively recent. No. It's not like it's been days or anything like that. You know. No. No. Just no. We're not going anywhere <laughs> down that route at all. It's weird that Diablo does it, but he's a super villain. I don't want to know that you are storing shit in your beard. <laughs> I'm not storing it. I, nope. Although I. Nope. Nope. We're getting on with the recap. Okay. Which is Diablo uh, I, turns the city against everyone in New York, and so the FAF decide, well, we should probably take care of this, uh, you know, probably. And they discovered that there is now a castle. There is now a castle in the middle of New York, and as they go and try and investigate, the castle attacks them because, of course, the castle attacks them. Yeah, it's it's kind of a weird morphine of Diablo's powers because, I mean, if you think about it, here's a <laughs> he, guy who now can create a castle out of nowhere. He he not only creates a castle, he changes all of New York. Like uh, uh, Johnny and Alicia literally have their glass coffee table turned into a fucking dragon, and. The the streets of New York are coming alive and whipping through things. And Crystal looks at it and says, well, it's clearly transmutation and it must be Diablo. And I'm like, he's never had the power. This is like serious um, elemental man shit. But OK, it's fine. Whatever. It's fine. It's it's kind of funny. Like it wasn't until the end of the second time rereading this issue where I'm like, where did Diablo get this power? Like, he's literally at one point, he gives himself six arms to, like, beat Ben up with. And it's... I oh, know, like, they, this is totally Steve Allenhart going, like, he's a magician, right? Okay, he'll do magician things. Yeah, totally. Totally. And it's... Because it, he doesn't just give himself six arms. He gives himself six arms to, like, stretch unreasonably. Yeah, yeah, completely. Like, he has Mr. Fantastic. He has four extra Mr. Fantastic arms. Yeah. Oh, no, I tell a lie. He, he actually has six extra uh, Mr. Fantastic arms because he has eight arms altogether that, and two legs. That's, so, that's right. So there you go. I do love that Ben is completely unimpressed by that. Yeah. So you gave yourself six arms. So what? Spider-Man tried that one time, and all he did was trip over himself. <laughs> what a great line. <laughs> I love that. I love I also love the Diablo's response is Spider-Man is a child creature. I have lived 1,000 years. Yeah, yeah. That also suggests that Diablo has been practicing having extra arms for 1,000 years. I, I, I don't know. It's really is. It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a funny little issue, I have to say. It's kind of... Well, it's, it's especially funny because Diablo is kicking their ass... Until he's like, oh, my power's running out. I need to suck in my mustache again. Yep. And Sharon stops him going, I noticed you were going for your mustache. As yeah. if that is in any way reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. I worked it out. Lying in your hotel bed totaled. You had nothing to work with but your body. Obviously, your self-preservation potions are on you. I'm like, it's so kooky. It just makes sense. You know? Um, I think there's also another great... Uh, 
portrait of Franklin looking like John Basima drew him like in one of those like, can you draw Franklin Richards on the back of this matchbook ad on page like 13 of the, the GIT core um, pages? Oh, no, 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 I'm looking. Yeah. Oh, the, the, the profile? Yeah, where he's like, heck, I can dream. I'm a big boy now. And yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's such a beautiful... Actually, the art in this issue, this is, I think, the last Bissam and Senate issue, I think, after this Keith Pollard comes in. Yeah, it. yeah, he does, but, um, and he goes out with a bang. His stuff yeah, looks great. Yeah, it is so great. Like, the, the final page of this, Reed's uh, face in the second last panel, when Reed realizes that the AFF can get along without him, Yeah, and he sees it's smiling Reed, is so great. Yeah. That that's it's great. Such, such a great drawing. There's so many good art. The, so much the, good art. The issue. the whimsical read when like yeah when Ben's sort of playfully bullying him. Diablo the recapping of Diablo's uh, origin where he rips off his bandages and the close up looks of his face where he just looks like you know sort of Spanish pirate in a way that Basima's like God I love drawing Spanish pirates. It's all it's 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 all good. It's all good. And of it's, course. It's, that final caption where it's just where the three of them are like, okay, okay, okay. And just that little caption. Goodbye. That is. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. I, I love it. You may or may not know this, but Engelhart fully intended that to be them off the book. I, like I believe it. for, for good. Yeah. Engelhart's plan was, it was really like, maybe they'll come back as guest stars, mm-hmm. but they're gone. Um, they're they're retired. The the end. Which is interesting because that's very much kind of where like you know where they kind of were are trying to make that sort of stick with when they closed down the FF recently. You know, it was like okay, we're gonna bring back Ben and Johnny on other teams and things, but but Reed and Sue. Well, that's just it. Like Reed, Reed and Sue were on the Avengers. Yeah, momentarily. Oh God, that's right. That's, like that's they, right. They joined the Avengers in what issue three hundred or something. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they, they they were gone from the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. and then you know, other other people, in fact, John Byrne <laughs> decided otherwise. Yeah, of course he did. Of course, because John did. Byrne takes over Avengers at the three hundred five. Yeah. Yep. You know, Graham McMillan, we are going to. This is probably our slowest discussion of issues ever. I have to say. <laughs> we're going to pull out the hole. Uh-huh. Okay. We're, we're going to speed through. You ready? Yes. Because we're heading into the issues that I think we can speed through. Because um, we're, we're, we're now at the issues. How are you going to say this villain's name, Jeff? Because I only realized this time in my fourth time of reading these issues that it's a pun. Oh, it, oh, you only caught that? It, yeah, it's, it's almost like a double pun. It, you say it as a facade. Yes, and I, I, I did not like. I literally was like, "Oh, facade, of course." <laughs> and I've read these issues a lot. Yeah. Um, I, talking about problematic. Why don't we get into the, the Saudi cyber supervillain? Yeah, yeah, facade. Who is on the one hand, it's I. I'm always sort of excited when I see like, oh, here's here's a new villain. Someone's trying to do something new. Here's Engelhart trying to do something to fit in with the times uh and yet as you said here's something that's super 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 problematic so it starts with uh johnny flying through the sky and he's more or less summoned by a butler and a and a a shivering screaming maid who um 
are basically like, yeah, we were, we were, I was, the, the maid's like, I was cleaning the drawing room, and then suddenly Facade shows up. This well-dressed, pinstripe, Saudi Arabian sort of robot-seeming motherfucker who can uh, disappear out of nowhere and uh, basically electrocutes the hell out of her and gives her a second-degree burn before finding out where the newsman... that Gregory Dunbar! Yes, of CBS News, whose apartment uh, apparently, like, he makes a good living because he's got himself a butler and a maid. Oh, this is Basima again. Yeah, man. I was going to say, this This is Basima. yeah. Wow, it is not his last issue. Um, uh, so the Torch, hearing this story, manages to heal her with uh, the power of absorbing the heat from her and therefore leaving the anesthetic chill and more or less hoping the flesh... Um, begin to heal, which is a v- sort of a new take on some of Johnny's old powers in terms of his ability right? to control. It, I mean, it's one of those things that you're like, I guess that kind of like, I guess he could do that. Sure. Yeah. Part of me is like, but, huh? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But maybe weirdly enough is not just Engelhart pulling powers out of his ass, but pulling powers out of his ass for reasons that will become important later. Uh, Johnny is so moved by the plight of the maid, he grabs the rest of the FF and is like, hey, we got to go get over to CBS. Oh, I forgot about the hook. The hook is on the very first page. It says within half an hour, the human torch will face betrayal by one of the new FF. And then five pages in as he gathers the team and is like, come on, everyone. We got to go fight this dude. We got to get over to CBS. And there's a panel within, you know, caption within 15 minutes, the human torch will face betrayal by one of the new FF. And uh, they basically crash the FF into the CBS News building because that's cool. And then they run around trying to hi-yah facade, which they can't because he is basically a flat image that they can't touch and figure out all sorts of ways to try and attack him using Crystal's elemental powers, the flame or whatever. It's, It's an interesting... Um, it's one of those things you don't see happen in comics too often, where it's basically no one can figure out how to beat the supervillain because no one's ever seen him before. Nobody knows what his powers are. And for the most part, he's just making really vague statements about what he can and can't do that makes you realize they don't know. Unfortunately, you also get the sense Steve Englehart doesn't really know either, which kind of makes <laughs> exactly. it a little... He's like, I've come up with a pun... And yep. Jeff has come up with, like, I guess, a visual. I'm going to say that, you know, we were just shitting on uh, Jeff Buscema's character designs. If nothing else, Facade is more memorable, but it's an ugly as shit character design. Oh, it's it really is ugly. But I, I'm impressed in a way. It's very ugly in a very 80s way. So, uh, and for people it's who are... It's Max Headroom plus racism. Let's just be perfectly honest. <laughs> Well, plus, I never realized until reading this issue, like, one of the things that I love about Enkelhart is he's got some really, um, that's a guy who really does not trust the petroleum industry. That, like, if you want to see something that runs right through his work, uh, Facade is much racially messier than Roxon Corporation from 
you know, the Avengers and his various other things. And there's a there's a dick turned by the U.S. government in these issues that's very straight out of supervillain team up that makes you realize that um, uh, Englehart really doesn't trust the whoever's in charge of U.S. geopolitics. But uh, but yeah, it's it's way more racist. It's really uh, uncomfortable uh, to see facade yeah. who is. Here's... Yeah. We were just, you know, you were just complaining that we're taking a long time to get through these issues, and I'm going to take us on a digression to slow things down even more. Perfect. I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> it strikes me that this issue came out at the same time as the Lonely Place of Dying arc in Batman, mm. which, do you remember what happened after the Joker kills Robin in that story? Uh, I don't, actually. The Joker gets a diplomatic immunity because... He essentially gets adopted by the Arab Emirates. I do remember. I do remember that. And, in fact, he and you get mm-hmm. the Joker in Arabic headdress. More, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like I speaking in the United Nations. Yeah. And just essentially being like, "Hey, you guys." Yep. Yeah. All Arabs are terrorists, and that, like, the two those two things happening at the same time, being published pretty much simultaneously, just makes me like, "Wow!" Like, <laughs> comics were hellishly racist back then yeah 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 uh hellishly racist as long as there was that idea of like you know there's one enemy that that you know that um is irredeemably evil and all of its members are you know but the rest of us are all relatively progressive except for them in fact you get a, a a recap of the newsman's story that literally says uh you know, refers to the Arabic country that um, that Fassad is from, Akira. Uh, I know maybe it's it's probably Aquiria because it's I think it's a pun on acquire. Is still a feudal country, as he said, as he so charmingly puts it. So of course, even though he ends up like, um, you know, even though this guy has so much power that he could and money that he could have crooked his little finger and a hundred men could have, you know, attacked this guy. He decides to charge into the studio himself with uh, a knife, stabs a TV camera, and wowee, like the world's worst supervillain origin, or rather a, a supervillain origin that is like kind of like its politics, shockingly out of date, like kind of a weird update that is not an update, I suppose. What's weird, yeah. of course, is the facade is Max Headroom, but really sort of talks like someone who heard, you know, uh, uh, someone talk about a book by like, I don't know, Derrida or um, uh, God, who's the guy who wrote about America and the Matrix and the illusions and all of that? You know, the French philosopher, uh, Jean Baudrillard the simulacra and simulation America the 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 guy who like nobody really heard about until like the matrix. And then it, nobody really wanted to hear about because of the matrix. So yes, there's some real interesting stuff going on where facade sa- says one of his first things is you suffer the disease of ego. You cannot adjust your brightness, but you can go to black. And then later essentially says like, I'm an image. You can't kill me because you know, the image can be as real as flesh when need be. So it's it's one of those things where I spent a lot of this thing being like, oh, I'm going to have a lot to say about Facade, but I kind of don't because I don't think that Englehart really thought it through or if he's doing something that isn't just 
racism, it's it's way beyond me figuring out what the hell's happening. Well, so, to be honest, I think he's doing. Uh, I think he's doing exactly what you think he's doing, mm-hmm. which is to say he's updating old tropes and his own prejudices, mm-hmm. his his own things. But his update is staggeringly racist mm-hmm. and and uh, ill-informed, ill-formed uh, beyond the racism. Mm-hmm. Like if you strip the racism away from Sad, from Frasad, mm-hmm. there there's nothing really there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, which is a shame because he's the villain for the next two issues. Yeah. Exactly. Well, and because he kind of has the powers of everything and nothing, he kind of is able to, like, keep the Fantastic Four, like, on their toes, and they keep coming up with... In a way, it's it's almost the most Kirby-ish the book has been, although Kirby wasn't a racist, he was extraordinarily fond of villains who ha- who pull their powers out of their butt that are then defeated by the superheroes coming up with some sort of semi like like oh this is science like sort of you know so there's... well like even facade's origin is 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 kirby-esque yeah. and as much as i dislike the visual mm-hmm. facade being fittingly considering his name as such a visual character yes like he he really is one of the most visually memorable mm-hmm. new characters in this book in in a long time, yep. Um, it fits with a sort of Kirby thing as well, you know. He's got a, a pun name. He's got a, a memorable visual. Mm-hmm. He's got a quasi scientific origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just you know ramp up the racism. Yeah, and you're you're kind of there. Well, in in some ways, it is a little bit of the FFR. He's he's he is the um, I guess there's a way in which he's sort of the Doctor Doom for the 80s. If you really want to think of Doom being kind of a fear of sort of communism meets like old world European fetishism on Kirby's part, the idea yeah. is to make to make facade sort of a the similar sort of thing but instead but instead it's sort of arab occidentalism i guess you know uh and yet uh and and so in a way part of it is like oh the ff have to like try and figure out a way to fight this dude who's got an entire country i guess at that point there you know the there's some degree of like is he is he a you know, is, is he embraced by his country? Is he like a lone rogue figure? Though they decide to to figure it out by having um, splitting up the team where the Torch and Crystal stay to watch over the intrepid newsmen, while uh, Ben and Ms. Marvel go to Aquaria to look for, as Ben puts it, Mister Cablehead. Which I don't even know what that that would be a pun on, really. So I I don't I don't think it's a pun as much as like he's a te- he's origin was television right yeah I guess that's right. um but but what is is notable is that the reason that he chose those teams mm-hmm. is that Ben is already of the opinion that Ms Marvel is 
is a mistake and should not be in the team. And that basically, not only is she, does she not belong there, but everyone's going to realize that and it will be embarrassing for him. Yeah, it, which is one of those weird sort of things. So for people who missed it because we didn't cover it, the member of the FF who <laughs> betrays Johnny is Ms. Marvel because at one point he gets zapped. He has to discharge it, the energy from his fight uh, with Facade by going... Um, Nova Flame up in the air, passes out, falls. Ms. Marvel jumps into the air to grab him and save him, and at the last moment is so repulsed by the idea of touching a man that she leaves him to die, which is, again, not subtle, very weird. At one point she says, I couldn't touch him. He was so tight and masculine. Ugh. Which is... This this is I think the problem is is it it gets back to the days of the lady liberators almost where it's like the idea that that all of a sudden because women are interested in women's lib they hate men but the updating that Englehart brings to that that because she's been sexually assaulted she literally can't bear to touch him and Ben She's like, you know how I feel about men after what they did to me. And he's like, listen, lady, men didn't do nothing to you. Some men did, and Johnny wasn't one of them. If you want to be part of the FF, you got to work with all of us, or you're out of here. And she literally begs him to stay, and he more or less does, <laughs> which which is scary, because he basically is like, I'm responsible for the FF, and it doesn't matter how I feel about you personally. It don't have to be like this. Maybe I could help you if you could just think about me as a man. Which, again, I don't think Inglehart is really... I mean, maybe he is, but this is... Following on... This is this is Ben Grimm as Harvey Weinstein. Let's face it. This is, this is Ben putting his <laughs> no, whole... Like, if you want a career with the FF, you got to be able to give me what I need. Maybe if you did that, I could forgive you. And then when she's like, I I can't do that, he's he's kind of, and she's like, but I won't hold back from my job. He'll be like, well, that's all I can ask. And then at the end, he's flying off and is like, yeah, you know, Reed kept us all together even when I honked him off, but none of us was ever nuts, which is what I'm beginning to think about Sherry. But I chose her and I could tell the others didn't think it was a good choice. I'm on the line here all the way around. <laughs> I got to make her work out to show what I'm doing or both she and I are both are failures. Yeah, there's there's so much there. He comes his uh, Ben's uh, obsession with himself. Yeah. Kind of peaks there, I think. Uh, yeah, thank God the water's I, I, kind of I receded wrong, a little bit. I, yeah. I think it does. I think that's the peak. Yeah. Where he doesn't even really care about her yep. at all. He only cares about her insofar as how she makes him look to other people. Well, or and or if she's willing to, um, how she makes him feel about himself. He's very explicit about that, which is really super creepy. He's like, you're off the team unless you could just reassure me that you're attracted to me as a man. That's, that is, that's, that's as textbook sexual harassment as it gets you know yeah um so yeah it's let's face it graham we are deep in the waters of problematic fave at that point like oh 
no shit. I mean, all of all of the Engelhart run, I think, is full of things where you realize that these characters who you love, and I really do love Ben, and I really particularly think that Engelhart is a great does a great Ben. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, fucked up. Yeah. Like, holy shit. It's it's you and I and and in the way what episodes have talked about my love for Engelhart's Green Lantern. Yes. And that does the same, like that does the same thing for Hal Jordan. Well, this somehow Hal ups pedophile the ante. Jordan. This is the thing. Oh, Where could does, you go when you up, got Hal Pedophile Jordan? What's that? Does it really up the ante? Because again, Hal Pedophile Jordan. Uh, yeah, I don't know, man. I it's let's face it, yeah. When you put it that way, I'm like, yeah, Graham, but it's different. I mean, and that's the problem. Oh, it's is, is it's, that, gr- it's a different flavor of utterly gross. It's a different don't flavor of utterly gross, but it is also but again, how pedophile Jordan. Well, but this is the problem. The problem is you and I both love Steve Englehart, and this is our problematic fave is Englehart in these cases. Oh yeah, oh, you know yeah. what oh, I mean. Most definitely. Yeah. Engelhart is I don't even think he's working through issues. I think Engelhart is like, this is what comics should be. Well, this is it. I don't think that it is I mean his thing is is like, yeah, you have to be able to talk about real issues, but you have to talk about them in, in weird, goofy metaphors. And part of me and also in this weird realm of Hal Jordan Pedophile is very much Englehart still kind of going like, no, 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 guys, you don't understand. It's okay, but and that's where things are a little. That's the problematic part, right? Because he, because Englehart's like, no, but it's basically all right because Erasa did it herself. She aged herself, like so. It's not a problem. It's like, no, that's a problem. And it's the same thing sort of here. It's kind of, it's like Englehart's like, oh, sure, yeah, this is this is not cool, but you don't get the sense that he's really like. That's like Tony Soprano levels of not cool, you know? It's it's very, very wrong. Also very wrong for those of you who are, if you're reading on Marvel Unlimited, I have to tell you two things that I've noticed, which is, is that I feel, having read all of these the first time through in Marvel Unlimited and the second time through on the GIT core versions, A, uh, Basima and Sinet's art works better, in I feel, in the uncolored... Um, GIT versions than the than the the Marvel Unlimited digital recoloring, which is pretty rare, I think, for me to say that. Shall, I don't think I shall saw we those. Shall continue so. to try and get through these these issues? Good luck. We, remember, we tried to do it quickly and it didn't really work. That was. I led to three hundred nine super quickly because we've basically talked about how problematic facade is. Okay. And uh, Engelhart's problems with with the oil trade. So, uh, the thing and Ms. Marvel make it via exposition and flashback mm-hmm. uh to the the city of the uh, city the country of akira akiria akiria acquiria acquiria a q i r i a so you get the sense there's a pun on acquire there i'm assuming but yeah so that's that's where they end up anyway and they they are greeted by the uh, american ambassador windsor reigns which is a <laughs> great name yes uh and his and his majesty king kafir <laughs> which is and, awesome and and they they're like oh we 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 are not a fan of of Fasad at all he is he's he's dangerous and terrible and then they say oh by the way miss marvel can you please cover yourself up you you really 
you, this, this is appalling. And she agrees while going, you macho pig, in her brain, which is great. Followed by Ben going, you did that good, Shari. And Ms. Marvel thinking, man. Yeah, yeah. To Alicia on the phone going, man. Yeah. Because she's on the phone with Johnny, which I love. Yeah, there's uh, some great transitions in this issue. Also, let's face it, I know we want to be fast, but there's no way that I can't teehee over the fact that Johnny Storm is basically leaning over the table and is saying, like, I figured rather than leave her to grab an early lunch alone from the FF's kitchen, we could make it a threesome. I've been wanting to get you two together, which is like, oh, please, Johnny, please, please, please. So it's, he's he's not talking of an actual threesome, but everything about that was like, oh, Steve Englehart, you you nasty bastard. He, he knew what he was doing. He Come did. on. Yep. So yeah, Johnny is apologizing because he is guarding Gregory Dunbar, the journalist with, with Crystal, and having to call off a dinner. The, the rest of the issue cuts between the 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 two uh, teams, uh, which is great because one of the teams, Ben and Sh- Sharon, are actually doing something, and the other team are literally having dinner with Alicia. Yeah. And I don't know if that's meant to be the case. Like you're meant to go, oh look, one of them's sort of completely or like on it, and and one of them is is kind of taking it easy and fighting over Johnny, which I love. I love that the the Alicia and Crystal both start going, well I saw him first, well I married him, well I can see, right type things <laughs> where, uh, where while Ben and Sharon are are doing their fucking jobs. But it doesn't matter because it's Johnny and Crystal that, that see Facade in the first place. And he's like, you guys, I'm going to fight you. And I'm going to fight you while changing colors for no reason. There, there's a fight that, that kind of is long and dull and goes nowhere, but ends with him being destroyed because Crystal strikes him with lightning and he disappears. What's happening in Akira, meanwhile? Oh, nothing apart from the fact that Ben and Sharon have found out what's suspicious. It's a fucking space shuttle. Dun, dun, dun. Yep. And then they're knocked out by the return of Facade, who, because he has had his image disrupted in New York, only meant a retransmission to the homeland. And far from being the uh, outcast that he's been described by King Kafir and the U.S. ambassador, he is, in fact... um, referred to as the king as you saved the kingdom once again my trusted friend so yes uh i do love the issue of course i do love the stuff with with johnny and crystal and alicia and it does say something again that's amazing about inglehart is is that it's somehow not subtle and subtle at the same time in a way that you just don't i don't get how it works He's weirdly distracting in that his lack of subtlety covers up for the shit that is actually really subtle. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's it's like a magic trick. He is completely distracting you. Yeah. With 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 shit like let's have a threesome. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's some really good character work in there that's really <laughs> understated. Yeah. Well, although I have to say there's really good character work, but there's a point and there's that point where again where alicia's on the phone being like men and sort of like come over you know well nobody can nobody can say i didn't know that marrying the human torch was marrying the ff as well not after all my years of being with ben 
they had been so close a team, my choosing Johnny wouldn't have been so traumatic. I'm so glad that Miss Marvel's helping. Basically, is Alicia really Alicia in these scenes? Like, her character makes a lot of sense in the way that she is both jealous and alternately saying things that you can read as her trying to be sympathetic and catty, you know, at the same time or either time, depending on what you want. And similar with Crystal. But Crystal, I think, is somewhat more of a tabula rasa. Is this really the Alicia that we know, Graham? Oh, it's, it, no, it's it's literally not. Yeah. Uh, in, in, in two ways. One, Alicia has never been this catty before. Right. That That is very out of character for mm-hmm. Alicia. And two, it will be revealed later that this is literally not Alicia. Uh, what, dude? I mean, I sort of know that, but I don't. I don't really know that. That's that. Is yeah. that? Is that something it's like it's? It's something that nobody knows right now. Right. Like it comes from two creative teams' hands. Okay, so I think it's safe to so say this is, this is meant to be Alicia. Yes, yeah. exactly. For and as far as Engelhart is concerned, right. yes, this is Alicia. Okay, but but it is Engelhart's Alicia, by which I mean. Engelhart writes an Engelhart version of every character. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is he is one of the uh, one of those characters, uh, one of those writers rather, who uh, overwrites personality mm-hmm. to fit his own needs. Mm-hmm. And in most cases, he does so in a way that pretty much fits with what has already been been in place. Right. But Alicia is one of those things where it doesn't really because she is unnaturally catty here. Shall we move on to 310? Yes. FF310, things to come, spoils its own big reveal with its cover. <laughs> oh, no, 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 Which, no, 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 no. That's deliberate, though. That's deliberate, and that's a that's a fake-out. I feel like it actually spoils it in the title, of course. Why? Well, it, it doesn't, it doesn't. Uh, because it does when you, when you get there. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you can just be like, oh, it's Ben. He's the thing. Things to come. It's a pun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is a pun, but it's not that pun. Yeah. Anyway, it starts off with uh, Ben and Sharon have been captured by uh, not just Facade, but uh, the Kingdom of Akiri and the U.S. ambassador mm-hmm. who explains that they are in America is in cahoots yep. with the country uh, and is, is using it as a base to launch secrets. Uh, space shuttles uh, missions, mm-hmm. which and, is yeah, kind of quite uh, kind of crazy. Good old good old Engelhart. Well, it's it's that's one of the things I really like about it because it is uh, uh, quietly subversive, I guess. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing is the ambassador doesn't really come across necessarily as evil. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's not like he's a he's a uh, betraying America or or even you know the American government is evil. He's just, you know, we're doing the business with this country, and this is what we're doing, and and that kind of makes it weirdly more subversive to me. I think so too. A, yeah, that he's just a middle manager. Yeah, you know, he doesn't have nefarious schemes. He's like, yeah, this is what we do. Yeah, there, there's such a it. Yeah, he's like, America needs to get its military payloads into space, but NASA can't fly a shuttle publicly until it's redesigned for safety. Our good friends at Akuria allow us to use their desert for secret flights of the older model. So it's basically, it's the U.S. government is very happily 
supporting this regime so that it can basically continue to operate um, outside of its own safety standards, which feels, uh, again, um, cynical, but not unrealistically so, and therefore has a level of, like you said, very, very subversive. Um, there, there's a nice moment, uh, subversive in an entirely different way, uh, a couple of pages later, which is where Ben manages to escape the trap by basically saying his name. Yes. <laughs> and, and and escaping. And then Sharon tries to do the same and can't. And does the same thing where she yeah. says her name. Yeah. And then is like, oh, but I, I can't do it. Yeah. Which I really like. I really like the, that he sets up. He said, I mean, it's kind of terrible also because he's doing it to Sharon. Yeah. Who is a character who has been amazingly shot upon by this point. Yes. But there is something really, really nice about the, he sets up the hero moment and then completely undercuts it. Yeah. Yeah. I think that is funny. And of course he also uses it for short, for some, heavy-duty foreshadowing because she's like, I'm not good enough. And he says, hey, lady, there's only one of me, you know, and it's like, oh, 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 just you wait, just you wait. Also, Graham, one of the things I have to say about this issue before we go on, this is, previous issue was the last issue of John Basuma. This issue is Keith Pollard inked by Joe Sinnott. And I have to tell you, reading this issue, which has uh, Ms. Marvel and the Thing fighting no joke, Arabian uh, robo-mechs, and then ending up in space to have a battle against Facade and the Star Wars laser-controlled satellite, it's... I was reading it kind of on the edge of my seat. Like, I couldn't turn the pages fast enough. Ron Wilson is so much more into this than John Basima is. It's wait, not. Wait, do, do you funny. mean Keith Pollard? Oh, sorry, Keith Pollard. Sorry, sorry, Keith. Sorry, <laughs> that's Ron. the second time tonight you've made you've called him Ron Wilson, which is great. Yeah, that's that's probably not so great. I get them confused. What can I say? They're both a very much of the I love you know classic Kirby Senate you know Ben Grimm action, but the the storytelling is just it's. It's pretty dynamite. There's a lot of change up on the panels. You, If you go back and like read this issue and then flip back to like 304, 305, you see how much Basima alternates between four panel uh, pages and six panel pages. A lot of it's just set out on a regular grid. And here, Wilson works a lot of time on a three panel, uh, sorry, a three tier grid system. Uh, and even when he keeps his panels like more or less kind of semi-symmetrical uh, in, in many places, like there's a lot of pages where it's just a, you know, three panel tier, two panel tier, one panel tier, and then you just alternate which goes where. It gives everything a real zippy amount of action, which is good because it's pretty much an all action issue from the time that they bust out. So... Uh, I was really glad for it. I have to say. That I, I I agree. Yeah. I I think that it really does bring a new energy to this. Yeah, which which really helps because, as you said, it's it's the action issue. Mm -hmm. it, it has all been building up to this, and so when you see, for example, Ben and and, and Sharon steal a space shuttle, yeah. go into space, and then have a fight with the facade possessed space station. Yeah, Basima might have undersold that 
<laughs> and Pollard just does not. Pollard goes for fucking broke. Yeah, he really does. You know? Yeah. And 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 it it really works. Mm-hmm. Um and and because of that sells the emotional beat as well. Right. You know, that they do destroy the space station and then Sharon and, and Ben kiss. And there's something about the, the visual momentum mm-hmm. that allows the soap opera to happen for yeah. want of a better way of it yep. without getting you know you dwelling on the story yeah and then from there to see facade possess the space shuttle and and crash landed after they they go through the the classic tack tack tacks of the cosmic rays yes um and and then you know you see ben ha- evolved into a new spiky spiky thing mm-hmm. in in that wonderful splash mm-hmm. oh my god he says that you see him uh, i mutated again i love that as well it's like he sounds like almost frustrated i mutated again for fuck's sake <laughs> fucking mutated um you know it, it really he really sells that and then going from that to the the final page reveal, yes that sharon is also mutated and become a thing yeah, it it works. Like there's a great momentum that Pollard has, in large part because of what you're saying. That he mm-hmm. really is varying his his panel layouts. He's varying the pace that he's telling each page. Yeah, which builds a momentum throughout the issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it it really does. And he knows when to sort of he'll slow things down and then he'll he'll start to crank it back up. So it works. It's, it's, it's an issue where the, where the visual storytelling just carries so much of it. Um, which is good because it is, it is a deeply goofy issue in many ways. Um, but, but in a good way, because, you know, they literally go in space and fight a possessed space station. Exactly. I mean, there's just so much there. That's just all goofy. But is goofy in all the right ways, and because the storytelling really just makes it pop, that leads us into issue three eleven, the uh, delightfully titled "I Want to Die," uh, which which is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, uh, amazing. You earlier made a reference to this being a uh, like it's an impressively dark issue, mm-hmm. and. It really is. And not just the Sharon stuff. The the crystal subplots in this mm-hmm. issue mm-hmm. is stunningly dark. Yeah. Yeah. You know? There mm-hmm. there's uh, everything about this issue is is for all the melodrama and it is really melodramatic. Like Sharon is literally suicidal and yelling that she wants to die now that she has become a, a thing like like Ben, mm-hmm. um, that's that's sort of leavened by you know the flashback to the origin of the FF, or here's a here's a, a new monster that they have to fight. So there's a fight sequence, mm-hmm. but it's so fucking dark. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really, but and yet not depressing. How does that work? Well, I don't know, Graham. I think this is the difference when you and I started talking and I was like, yeah, this stuff's amazing, but I kind of feel, Ugh. this is the issue where I'm like, it it goes a little too far over the edge for me. This is the one where I'm like, I'm sorry, 
this is too dark, and this maybe is not Englehart handling things really well. There's an amazing page where Ben is talking to Sherry, and she he's just blabbing and blabbing to try and keep. Is her this mind the one where she troubles. she she runs into the rocks and she's tried going to try and kill herself? No, there's that, but it's literally a part where she's he's basically talking about how it's like ah oh, you can't call yourself she thing, just don't cut it and the thing at. And a jungle snake literally like drops on her, crawls around her, and slithers off, and she has no reaction whatsoever. And it's just that kind of degree of shock that she's in is kind of... Mm. And I do have to say, again, I appreciate Keith Pollard's um, storytelling chops, but I'm not sure I'm so down with the design of, of new Gila monster-style Ben or Sherry, who, of course, is supposed to deliberately look like the thing from the first few issues of the thing, but somehow just doesn't look... It's it's not really visually appealing characters. Although I say that, and the, the robot that they stumble across in the middle of nowhere that proceeds to try and beat the crap out of them um, is at least kind of interestingly designed, but... Really, I I really I I think that's a terrible design. Eh, at least there's some effort uh, sort of made into it. It's more than Basima would have put into it. But yeah, there's a lot of it's just it's it's all kind of it's literally visually ugly in a way that that is kind of hard for me to wrap my brain around too. So I see. I find it. Um, I find it a, a genuinely an amazingly dark issue. Mm-hmm. Um. Or, or that's not true. I find the first half of it amazingly dark. Uh, the second half, you get the big fight sequence, and then the Black Panther shows up, and he's like, "You're in Wakanda. Did you not know that?" And by the way, I have another guest, and the other guest is Doctor Doom. Right. And that that like really dramatically lightens it up because you get like Doctor Doom being like, "Ha ha! I too am here in my armor, and we are both kings, me and T'Challa." And you know, I, but the first half is. You know the the page that that is the problem for me is is the the fourth page where Sharon not only tries to kill herself but like literally says that she's trying to run yeah. a jagged run into a jagged rock so that it will cut her throat. Yep, and it it fails, mm-hmm. and her response is to just hit Ben and say, "I want to die repeatedly." Yeah, and that's that's holy shit. Yeah. Like that, really astounding. It's it's I don't know. It's it's such a weird, overwhelming issue. I'd mentioned the the crystal subplot. The crystal subplot is she, the the uh, yeah the realtor mm-hmm. uh, from New Jersey that she cheated on Quicksilver with visits her, and basically utterly rejects her mm-hmm. and tells her she's a terrible person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that again, like, is almost as dark. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Chris was like, "New start." Like, we had a thing before, and he's like, "Nope, you're a terrible human being. You're terrible. Fuck you. Nope. I hope you don't hurt anyone else." Right. Goodbye. Right. And it's just, it's, it, you know, the first half of this book is like. The most nihilistic issue of Fantastic Four that will ever be published. Well, you know, uh, it's true. Sure, like, I don't know, but Jonathan Aikman. 
Yeah, well, see, this is it. I, I was going to say that actually one of the things I think is funny is I did think of Jonathan Hickman during this issue because, in fact, um, I feel like one of the things that, that Hickman totally goes on to embrace in the Fantastic Four Avengers all the way up through Secret Wars is something that I think Englehart says explicitly here for the first time, which is essentially that T'Challa and Dr. Doom can more or less um, get along because monarchs share a special bond. And that yeah, essentially yeah. he and Dr. Doom are able to work together because they both understand and are able to, um, it's almost like a professional courtesy. And this is something that Hickman goes on to take and run with a really long way several decades later. I don't think I've ever quite seen it placed this way, um, you know, because it's, it's honestly following hot on the heels of the American government working with the, with Akira to, to basically do shit and condones the fact that they're willing to kill newsmen and suppress pe suppress their people and the government's fine with it. You get the flip side, which is Black Panther, who is a hero and is has been treated practically as kind of, you know, the FF's version of the magical Negro to literally be um, doing business with Dr. Doom. Dr. Doom is set refuge from T'Challa and in... Uh, trade is offering his skills in robotics to allow uh, the panther to protect the vibranium mound with the very same poorly uh, designed robot that uh, that Ben and Sharon just fought so that's that's kind of grim too Graham <laughs> I'm telling you the whole no, issue no, is dark I, that's what I'm saying like it's a very 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 dark comic um, I and then you have the the doom sharon bit at the end right which is 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 fascinating mm -hmm. because he essentially says you you should not want to kill yourself that's that's a cowardly way out yeah uh you know and and you're first of all you're not the first superhero to feel like this he explicitly mentions hang pym yeah and then says basically he he got he got over it he found an alternative mm-hmm and then does something that I don't know quite how to read. Is Doom so clumsy as to say, and now you, even though you're part of the Fantastic Four, you can join me and we can hurt the Fantastic Four, or is he manipulating her? He is, he's that clumsy. Uh, he, he is that clumsy? That's, that's what you think? I think because so. Because I, I, honestly, part of me thinks that he... Like there, is, I I think there is a reading where he's not that clumsy, and and he is he's essentially manipulating her to give her something else to think about. You know, considering on the next page he's like, "You pathetic lunatic! No one does what you've done to Doom," and then is cursing Panther and more or less like backs down. I yeah, but that's that. Does that not the way that he? would act if that makes sense you know again maybe maybe this is that thing of like Engelhart is definitely at the point where he's presenting people without without having the secret 
you know, thought balloon that gives away what they're really doing. So maybe, maybe, except part of me is sort of, I think it's more like, um, I think it's more like Englehart to think that Doom is going to actually reach out and help someone if, if it, if it serves his own ends in the end, yeah. you know, cause this, this is, this is the, this is the Englehart has had doom be a bastard before some of the stuff in supervillain team up is very much him taking advantage of whatever it's called leisure's right or king's knight or whatever the really gross thing is you know he's he's he, he doom is is complex but all but kind of but almost always a snake, just as he was in the annual. So I think he really is. The fact that you see him kind of say, like, you know, share, I think it is his worldview that he does share, because this is a guy who has also undergone great tragedy, including physical scarification, as far as he's concerned. And he didn't turn to suicide, he turned to vengeance. And so he's kind of like, so yeah, naturally you're going to want to it, it's a fait accompli. That, I think that's kind of that thing for Doom. Doom thinks that he's the most rational person in the universe, despite the fact that the rest of the universe clearly disagrees. You know, that's, I think that's sort of classic Doom. So his thing is, is like, well, of course, you've been disfigured. You're going to want to get revenge on the people who disfigured you, because that's literally Dr. Doom's origin right fine yeah i yeah sorry i don't I know i love I, to I, have it that he's like secretly like i cannot stand to see a woman cry kind of thing like i don't i no, don't not think it's, it, no, it's, not, not, it's 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 uh although you know i can totally see a doctor doom because there there's the is it the it's the annual isn't it where he leaves by going ladies which yes. is, is so right <laughs> um but no i i if, for my part, it's more the um, it's not a, a gender thing as much as a, he just can't abide that sort of self-pity. Uh, I guess I do. I, I, I guess I see that. Um, I suppose that could be. I mean, it kind of I think it's supposed to take I suppose that that's the way it's supposed to appear before the heel turn, I suppose, you know, but I I don't I don't think that that's actually what's secretly under it. Or at least that I don't think that's what Englehart thinks. But I could be wrong because again, Englehart's doing some weird shit in here. So um. <laughs> that is that is the best description of all of these issues. <laughs> Shall we work on three twelve? Yes, absolutely. Three twelve, the turning point. Also, I have to point out, Jeff. I don't know if you noticed this, but after three oh four, after Englehart's first issue, every story title in this run has an exclamation point. Oh no, I didn't notice that. That is genius. <laughs> Of Which I is. love. The turning point. The turning point uh, is great for two ish- two reasons. One, it, it features the uh, it, I I really I really love the splash page, mm. which is the thing in Ms. Marvel greeting Johnny and Crystal, and both of them are just stunned. Yeah, <laughs> they really are sort of shocked by what is going on, mm-hmm. um, and and how they look. The other thing I really like is I I really like the X Factor guest shot in this. 
Yet this one, for even though Sherry is kind of at the end of her rope in histrionic, uh, this one this one does work for me. I mean, again, you just have some goofy things that are very much make sense. Like you, the page three has the Black Panther and the and Doctor Doom more or less like you know drinking branders of snifters of brandy while talking about you know, their plans. Well, both cross-legged and recliners, which I love. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're like, let, let us, let us talk like gentlemen. Yes, exactly. Exactly. You know, and which is, which is pretty, pretty hilarious the way it flares up and then doesn't. And, you know, there's literally a confrontation about which all is like, you invite yourself, you know, how dare you? And, and, and like doom, like throws all kind of shade and then is sort of like, oh, but uh, yes, I'm impatient. So I, I, I ask, may I accompany you? And Tarala is like, oh, sure. You just badmouth my dad, but yeah, okay. As long as you ask nicely, that's what's important to me. It's kind of. But crazy. let's actually, let's actually quote the Doom dialogue here because your version is much, much more restrained than what Doom actually says. Yes. Doom says. My rank was earned through personal triumph, Wakandan, not inheritance from a failed father. Whatever official Latveria may say, I remain its master because I am Doom. I petition your understanding once more, Prince Chala. <laughs> I am naturally impatient at this time, for I have far to go before Christoph falls to me. I love that! <laughs> I love that he literally goes from, You were a fucking dick! Shut up! <laughs> but can I get it right? Yes, totally! Totally! And of course, I do like the idea that, that T'Challa is like, T'Chaka, my father, was a great chieftain, Latverian. As proof, you'll note he taught me the proper manner for a monarch. Yes, you may go with us. And when Ben's and I also like... I love that Ben is like, da, 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 da. Exactly. And T'Challa says, safe passage is a cornerstone of international relations, Ben. It's not too much to grant. And I have to tell you, I spent a certain amount of time going like, like, he's kind of right. Like, there really is a little bit of, for me, it's like, if Jonathan Hickman had been a lot less subtle, um, I would probably have been down with a lot more of the shit that he went on to do just by having some stuff where T'Challa really is like, oh, I'm going to show you that I have proper manners because I'm going to let you come with us, you know, mm -hmm. in your face, Doom. You know, which is kind of like... Also, I I have to ask: Were you super thrilled to see uh, I caption actually referencing supervillain team up in this issue? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, very much so. I mean, because because it is. It's there's it's there's this is what I love. Again, it's like supervillain team up, which is a, over a decade, well, approximately a decade old by this point. And shout outs to fucking x factor x factor for crying out yeah, loud right so well you see you say that but x factor was probably significantly outselling fantastic four at this point probably probably so you know so like x factor for crying out loud yeah it's tying in with a much more successful book <laughs> right right i would love to see what the sales factors were for x factor because in two issues you get to see the the circulation statement for the ff so or maybe it's the issue after this 
Anywho, um, yeah, so basically the best thing about it is they show up in New York and they're like, what the hell's been going on? And they're like, oh, you know, X-Factor like totally defeated some some aliens and uh, and there's a parade and Crystal goes, a parade, what a good idea. A parade's just what we need right now. Let's go see each other. And she's like, no. And he's like, you can't say no. I know you want to be part of the FF and we're all going, right, Ben? And he's like, uh, sure. If sure, if Mutants can, can get a parade, it proves anything can turn out okay, and and everyone's like, yeah, that's right. Every cloud has a silver lining, and sh- and Sherry's thought balloon is, I want to die, and then <laughs> the only thing that's funnier. I, I, we've than all that, felt like that, Sharon. <laughs> frankly, every time anyone tries to drag me to a parade, that's my reaction. But then the, there's just the fucking thing of like they're all at the parade, including Black Panther and including Doctor Doom. There's, what the fuck? It's just genius. There is something genius about that. Like, we're so he, all we're all gonna go to the parade, including Doctor Doom and the Black Panther, and they're and they're and they're basically quarreling at that point too. So, oh god. Anyway, I just while you were talking, pulled the issues of Marvel Age that I have, and in the, the Marvel Top Ten that that they have in these issues and this is round about the same time i don't actually have the one so this is like two months before mm-hmm. when this issue came out but x factor was the second best-selling marvel comic and fantastic four isn't even in the top 10 right x factor is significantly outselling uh fantastic four at this point in life. although i'd be curious to see what those numbers are again i'm like get get me the circulation statements damn it because I, I, that... I, I couldn't get the circulation statements but do you want to know what the top 10 was for the uh Let's see, what, September 1988? Sure. Uh, number one, X-Men. Number two, X-Factor. Number three, The Punisher. Number four, New Mutants. Number five, Silver Surfer. Hmm. Number six, The Amazing Spider-Man. Number seven, The Nam. Number eight, Classic X-Men. Number nine, Solo Avengers. What? And number 10, G.I. Yeah. That's an amazing list. Solo Avengers. Is it? What Solo issue? Avengers. Number two. Wow. Soul Avengers issue two is the ninth best-selling uh, Marvel book of September 1988. Jesus. Okay. Right. Well, it's not nuts. That is that is insane. That is insane, and really does make me wonder what the numbers are. So, <laughs> <sighs> I'm sure there's somewhere you can find that out. Let's really speed through the end of 312 and do 313 super quickly because yes. we are running very long. The short version is the parade is attacked by Kristoff's mm-hmm. forces. Yep. The fake Doctor Doom's forces because he has declared war on Doctor Doom, thinking Doctor Doom is an imposter. That brings the FF and X-Factor together. I, I do want to say very quickly, you made fun of the fact that there's a parade. Yes. The parade that X-Factor is part of is actually the end of X-Factor issue 25. Mm-hmm. The last panel of that is them beginning the parade. Wow. That's crazy. Uh, and then that leads directly into this book. And I remember, I guess I would have been 14 when this came out. I was so fucking excited. Yeah. <laughs> like, I really, I was like, oh my God, it ended. And then it, oh my shit, what? This is amazing. What? This is, holy crap. So yeah, the, I still, I'm a little bit excited about this. Nonetheless, um, they, uh, the invasion is fought off. And because x-factor does not agree to team up with dr doom to take back liberia dr doom kidnaps sharon thing sharon and the beast who at this point due to what has been going on in the x-factor book cannot use his 
strength without becoming stupider. Mm-hmm. It's a dumb plot, but it it went on for a few months in X Factor. Sadly, um, he kidnaps them and he he runs away and ends up in the uh, I was going to say Baxter Building, but yeah. it's Four Freedoms Plaza, right? Because the Baxter Building point. is no more; it's Four Freedoms Plaza. Thank you, thank because you. Turns out Talk to Room has had access to Reed Richards Lab all the time. Yep. And and, and didn't tell anyone. Uh, he keeps the uh, Sharon and the Beast in uh, uh, essentially like an energy cube that, that Sharon is so wrapped up with self-pity she is unable to bring herself to try and escape from. Whereas the Beast is like, I'm uh, fine, I'll do it. And she's like, no, you can't get any more stupider. And then she does it because she's a monster now. Mm-hmm. And they escape. The Sharon is zapped by Doctor Doom, and the Beast leaps to defend her, and in the process, becomes essentially feral. Right. And, and has to be stopped by the then arriving rest of Fantastic Four and X Factor. All this is is eventually resolved with two things. One, Doctor Doom is talked down. And two, Sharon realizes that she is over self-pity. Yep. She is she is now going to be a hero uh, inspired by what Beast was willing to give up. Yes. And, and she is, she is over, she's over her fear of men now that she's a monster mm-hmm. because in her theory, no no man would ever want to touch her now, so that's fine. Mm-hmm. And she's over her self-pity of being a thing because she wants to live up to the heroic ideal. Yep. Uh What's interesting about this is this closes down the the second of the two big hang-ups of the team by this point, mm-hmm. because Ben had dropped his his hatred of Johnny back when Sharon didn't catch Johnny uh, at, in during the facade storyline. That's right. But Ben realizes that he still cares for Johnny and he he can't hate Johnny anymore. Mm-hmm. And so now both things are over, which is super weird. It's it's like the the two neuroses, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. are done. And he's only you know this is what three twelve. So he's one two three four five six seven eight nine nine issues into his run. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of fascinating. Yeah. Well, I'll take I'll take it take your word for it because part of me is like, oh, it feels like it's over, but we've had some fake outs before, and of course. 313 is him putting a um uh a new wrinkle on things i guess a, a new a new way to go with take the soap opera in a new direction i suppose so uh yeah 313 is um uh the tunnels of the mole man and um it's Sal Basima guest artist which i did not realize and should have because Oh my God, the Doctor Devere um, looks amazing. Is just a classic <laughs> little bit of, but, uh, of of Sal Buscema in particular. Yeah, design. Yeah, I think you're right. Right, mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it's great. He, he's such a great bad guy. Something that I find really interesting about the the Buscema art here. First of all. Joseph and his inks make everything like makes him look like Keith Pollard, makes him look yep. like like John Sema because it's Joseph and his inks. They overpower everything. Yeah, but his version of the new Ben is super weird to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
and I don't quite know why, but he looks. Um, and what it is is the the face. Mm-hmm. Like there's something about the face that that seems really off, which is very strange for you know a design that's been around for four issues at this point. Mm-hmm. And so, like, how do you even have off at this point? But it does. It looks it looks wrong. Well, I think in some ways because I feel like. Um... Uh, and I could be wrong in this, Basima is drawing it more like the old thing, and then Sinnott's sort of trying to morph it to make it look like the new thing. And well, so... that's just it. it. It looks like the old thing, and then he's like, "Oh wait, no, he's got more fins." Yeah, exactly. Like they kind of jam some like fins on the side, so it's 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 really it's goofy. It it's. It's kind of a goofy issue. It's one of those yeah, things. Goofy seems fair as a as a, a, a uh, an explanation of this. Yeah, um, one of the things that I think is interesting is just as in the last issue, there was a beautiful editorial panel where when Doctor Doom is talking about having the Baxter Building um, mined with monitoring devices, there's a great. Uh, panel from the editor editor note from Ralph Macchio saying you know did you catch what was going on in FF 305 and you go back I looked Graham there's nothing going on in FF 305 there is not a single fucking clue that suggests that monitoring devices are being set up in that issue the clue if it is it's Reed Richards doing it because Reed is the only motherfucker who's shown touching anything in that entire goddamn issue, uh, any part of the Baxter building. Similarly, there's a ton of editor's notes here. I'm really shocked that they don't shout out. There's there's one point where the lava men end up attacking Johnny and saying something like... Uh, you know, basically something like, can this be the one the shaman Jinku spoke of? That's me, boys. And I kicked Jinku's butt, is the Torch's reply, which is a shout out to a single one shot issue of Marvel Team Up where it's like the Torch and maybe the Iceman? I don't know. Take on the Lava Men? It's like issue 31 of Marvel Team Up. It's amazing that that Engelhart references it, and I love the idea that Ralph Macchio is like, I have no fucking idea. I don't. I'm not gonna. <laughs> yeah, this this one doesn't get a footnote. Also interesting is is that that very split explicitly, the FF are in search of Mole Man. This is very much a follow up issue to issue two ninety six that very much casts a couple of different directions on issue 296 that I don't think are necessarily in the issue. One is is that because of Ben's abandonment of the Mole Man and the Moloid's kingdom, the Mole Man has decided to retreat from all human presence and has basically left a power void that the Lava Men and the Tyranoids are trying to fill. Uh, which is not what the end of 296 has at all. Not only oh, does not, it... not in the slightest. Yeah. But Ben is working secretly sort of sub Rosa in the hopes that the Mole Man, who, according to Ben in 296, cured Ben's mutation, um, is going to be able to do the same for Sherry and turn her back to human. And again... That is not how I remember 296 at all. Uh, it would not only is it what did not happen in 296. Yeah, 
it's that later issues because for, for it, it was not explained at all in 296 right uh but in later issues just said that he went into remission mm-hmm. like did not uh mention the mole man being involved one way or the other exactly exactly uh so Engelhart tries to actually sow the seeds for this little retcon by describing it this way several issues earlier in in passing conversation i think between ben and reed but that still doesn't mean that it happened it very clearly didn't um that being said like i i kind of well, love but at the same time like that kind of makes sense more than and it just went into remission oh i think so too like I think that I think that Engelhart's choice to change it in both situations is kind of a smarter decision. I don't necessarily know where this is going to go later on, but part of me actually really kind of digs the basically I love Sad Mole Man. You know what I mean? Like I love Sad <laughs> Mole Man. I love the fact that he's kind of like, "Oh, maybe Ben and Johnny really like me." That's that's a lot more interesting than than the very shooterfied, like. Well, of course, no one really wants to hang out with ugly people. Not even the mole man. That's part of what's so terrible. That's why he's a villain, you know. But come on, he's a villain. Well, we all understand, you know. Well, that's just. It. I mean, the the original origin of the mole man was essentially he became a villain because he was a monster because no one would go out with him. That's right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So so this this version makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. it's uh, i have to say like I, I i said earlier that i really enjoy all these issues this is the issue that feels most like filler for me mm-hmm. uh, i i feel there is there's very much a uh, uh, forward momentum right it uh, for for everything up to this point and this issue just just does not have that well the last three it's almost as if maybe the, the, everything, the last pages yeah perhaps. Everything exists to get to the last three pages, which is essentially that running around, uh, Crystal is able to use her elemental power to get them, get her and the two things deeper down into the, the sur- below the surface of the earth without um, basically suffering the horrible heat. But essentially she ends up trying to dive down into the lava to rescue Mole Man barely makes it out alive has been scalded and Johnny uses his his recent powers of maid curing to um basically grab her yell a bunch of unintentionally sexualized dialogue complete with give it up i can take everything you got um and then ultimately is like huh i was weirdly turned on to actually drain the heat out of crystal while yelling increasingly sexualized phrases what the hell's wrong with me i'm a monster and that's sort of the last page twist so the fact that that's how inglehart went to get there <clears throat> he's done such a pretty good job of sort of sewing in the here's where I need the characters to be for their emotional beats. Here's the Looney Tunes sort of crazy menaces that they're fighting to get them to that point. And this is the one issue where, for whatever reason, the formula feels a little too thin, doesn't it? it yeah, it, it, this this issue uh, does not work in the way that the other issues work. Yeah, And the other issues, I think, really do work. I think, they're su- like I said, there's such a forward momentum and Engelhart came onto the book clearly knowing what he was going to do. Yeah. And then this issue just does not 
match up to that at all. Mm-hmm. This issue feels like he's like, oh shit, okay, I need to get to Johnny having that moment of doubt, mm-hmm. but I don't know how to get there. Uh, sure, let's let's do the moment. Right. You know, I have to say the 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 last page is the the page where you know Johnny goes. It felt so good holding Chris again, but there is a reading that Johnny previously where he says, oh my God, in a thought balloon, is actually responding to Ben's terrible chat-up line. Right. <laughs> which I love. Because <laughs> yeah, Ben, uh, the, Sharon is saying, you know, um, my problems all came because I was a pretty woman, but now I'm not pretty and hardly even a woman. And Ben says, lady, that may be true by normal people's standards, but to these blue baby blue eyes, you look better than you ever have. Right. And then it goes Johnny going, oh my God. <laughs> and I love the idea. And he's like, oh shit, Ben, shut up. <laughs> shut up. Well, I sort of think that that is the, yeah, you sort of think that that is... That's that's kind of I think I think Engelhart does mean it that intentional? way. Yeah, you I think, think that it? is intentional. That you're supposed to think that he's going like, oh my god, what crazy bullshit line is that? But then it's like, no, I have a boner, you know. So yeah, it's <laughs> sorry, sorry Johnny for not taking your marital problems seriously enough because you know what the hell. But it's a uh, it's interesting. Also. Flipping forward, I didn't read issue 314, but I'm kind of relieved that they keep looking for the Mole Man because that's the other thing is is Englehart, I don't know if it's the pacing of the issue, but Englehart hits his emotional beat so much that you kind of get the sense they're not going to go after the Mole Man, that that's kind of like, well, that's it, which kind of sucked, you know? But I think maybe because the Mole Man was so... um, misused the last time he appeared in 296 and I'm like oh well of course he's just here to advance everyone else's emotional needs yet again sort of so um very very weird very weird little wrap up to to the issues so but thank god because it means that we were able to summarize it super quickly so <laughs> <laughs> see there were there was a plus side after all but these are these are some fascinating issues and it, it, it the book becomes such a strange thing mm-hmm. you know it, it really is less than a year into Engelhart's run and this book is literally unrecognizable yeah from what it was before he came on board yeah yeah which is which is which is to his benefit it really i mean to his credit um it's it's a good thing it it is the but it is it's weird like i said it's a it's kind of a weird curdly thing and it is it's Engelhart being so Engelharty about stuff that I feel like he's previously pulled off but it this is this really is I'm not sure it's successful I'm not sure it's 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 not like I'm reading this being like oh my god this is my favorite Engelhart ever and I don't know if that's just because you know I didn't get um exposed to it at a crucial age and therefore I just you know can't tear away from that beautiful gossamer web of nostalgia, you know, or if it's just like Englehart may be biting off more than he can chew here. It's well, awesome watching him do it. Don't get me wrong. And it's, they're never not entertaining. Well, that's but... just it. Like this is a much more entertaining book than it has been for quite some time. Absolutely. One of the things is, at least for me, there's different eras of Englehart. And Englehart in the 80s is very different from Englehart in the 70s. Mm-hmm. 
that there are there are there's obviously like significant connective tissue right but but he is in many ways a very different writer yeah and for me my nostalgia for Engelhart is the Sierra of Engelhart it's it's specifically his Green Lantern and West Coast Avengers but like this is this runs parallel to those Mm -hmm. and so you have the for want of a better way of putting it weirdly problematic sexual Engelhart here right which you know? I guess is actually now that you think about it. I wasn't thinking so much of Green Lantern, but when you think about how he handles the whole Mockingbird Ghost Rider or Night Rider situation in West Coast Avengers, um, Englehart's clearly like women's sexual trauma is absolutely 100% fertile ground to telling superhero stories. Uh you know, in fact, it seems like a real motivator to her, to him in a way that is kind of um, like you said. You kind of can't you you can't separate it out. But I have to say, at least so far, I feel like even the stuff that he ends up doing in West Coast Avengers feels less problematic to me than this stuff. But maybe I maybe I think I think well, because th- I remember th- this is a, this is a far more dysfunctional yeah book like far more dysfunctional and don't get me wrong west coast avengers gets really fucking dysfunctional before Engelhart leaves mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um i mean really really bad i would say actually it, it gets worse than this book does but I, for the most part it is a more upbeat and lighter book this book is for all of its upbeat tone mm-hmm. this is a heavy book yeah it is a heavy book it, it kind of is. And part of me is, again, sort of the way in which Englehart sort of dispatches with that sort of, you know, the way that he's able to kind of, it's it's his choice. It's very much what he's created, but the way to which he addresses it directly and then more or less like disposes of it at will is... um. It's it's tough, you know. It's it's interesting to me. I'm not sure that by the end of three twelve, when Sharon is like, you know what, I'm not going to be self pitying. I'm not going to look at this as trauma. I'm going to look at this as, you know, I'm turned the corner. I'm going to be. I'm going to choose to be healthy. Is kind of it falls flat for me in a lot of different ways. You know, it, it just doesn't, it just doesn't, it, it would be lovely if, if, if tragedy and trauma worked that way, it'd be wonderful if it even sort of worked that way in comics, you know what I mean? But I sort of feel like, I kind of feel like it does work that way in comics. I, 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 the difference for me is that um, Sharon's trauma felt real in a way that most comic trauma doesn't. Yeah, and so therefore, I think it makes it a little easier to shrug to the the idea that she sort of shrugs it off by choice is kind of a, um, you know, it sort of reinforces things about um, the about the narrative, the male narrative of women's suffering that it, you know, is, is problematic. But honestly, Graham, I would sort of challenge you to, 
if you look at it in tandem with Ben's narrative, it's very different. You know what I mean? Like you don't you don't have a moment in the first fifty issues of the Fantastic Four where he's like, you know what? I'm gonna stop being a douche. You know what I mean? Like in 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 the the Kirby Lee Kirby issues, there's a lot of Ben almost seems cursed by God in half of it. And in the Oh God, yeah. You know, and in the other half, he's he is relentlessly self pitying and usually I mean, I guess you could say that if you look at something like this man, this monster, you there's there is a parallel in a way to what Sharon and the Beast undergo where where basically watching someone else sacrifice themselves teaches someone else to be a good person, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But eh, but I don't know. It just doesn't seem... But usually that's with a dashed off character, I guess. You know, Ben himself has... His, his evolution from the bastard of issue one to basically everyone's favorite cigar smoke and pal to kind of this weird mishmash where Englehart really does put it at an amazing pitch in between the two. Um, But Sharon's stuff just doesn't have that. And it's, I feel like it's not just the fact that what she undergoes is so seriously horrible, but, but I don't know. It just somehow feels different. Well, see, I I agree, mm-hmm. but at the same time, I think that Sharon's arc is different uh, it, on a number of levels. Yeah. Not just the fact that Sharon is uh, maybe not intended to be a much more short-term character, mm-hmm. but but not being one of the original characters and not having at this point twenty-five years of history behind her. I think alters the dynamic, but also. As soon as Sharon is invited to join the team, so her second issue in the book here, mm-hmm. she is talking about feeling that she has to be worthy of being a member of the Fantastic Four, mm-hmm. that she has to earn the colors of the team, that she has to earn her place in the team, that she has to be a hero. That ties in with her arc in the thing as well, mm-hmm. that she has always been a much more aspirational character. Mm-hmm. So I can believe that she sees what Beast does and her response is essentially I've been far too self-centered I need to be more heroic whether or not that would stick for want of a better way of putting it in the real world Mm -hmm. whether or not that would actually mean anything other than a nice speech that she tells herself Mm -hmm. is a different thing but the arc to that point, to the end of 312, mm-hmm. works for me. Where it doesn't work for me is essentially that does stick. Mm-hmm. Like, I I would find it more realistic if basically that was the Sharon that she wanted to be. Mm-hmm. But the real Sharon was also the, you know, it simultaneously could hold that in her mind and also the I want to die. Right. You know? Yeah. Which it will, which is that, which is that era, area where Englehart can only carry us 
it's sort of so far you know it would be it would be wonderful if we could get more of that but you know i think that Engelhart's kind of like oh yeah there's you know again there's so much that's that is strange and problematic in the in the analogy that he's making between what Sharon's gone through and what Ben's gone through and what it means for a woman to lose her body and for a man to lose his body, you know? And it's just, it's God bless him for trying like that itself is so wonderful. And it's also God bless him for trying and making it so goddamn goofy. But like I said, there's still part of me that's like, Ugh. Uh, it's still so much more like it. It is. It's kind of like, it, it, if if you if we buy into the idea that Burns' downfall is on the Fantastic Four is in some ways his own arrogance. Uh, I'm not. I'm not really. I'm fascinated by the idea that 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 might end up being the case with Engelhardt as well. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. So, but I don't know for sure because how many more? How long is uh, Inglehart's run? He's on here till like three thirty-four. Oh, okay, so so I've got like another twenty issues here. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, although, oh shit! Like maybe the last half year at least is editorially mandated, and he takes his name off the book. Oh right, he replaces it with John, his John Harkness. John Harkness. Him. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And then John Harkness shows up in in his last issue. Wow! Really? Yeah, get get prepared to meet John Harkness. That's awesome. That's so genius. Oh my god. Okay. Well, fabulous. Graham McMillan, we got to wrap this yeah, sucker up. Yeah, we really should. Mm -hmm. uh, we've we've gone on for far too long. This is a really long one, but I'm happy with it because I'm really happy that we're in the Engelhart issues. <laughs> I, I, I really am. I, if nothing else, I think these are infinitely more readable than what we've been reading for oh, the last completely, few episodes. Completely. You know, I, you really agreed. can rip through these issues. Yeah. And next time, people, I hope you're ready for some fucking Beyonder action. Oh, Jesus. Secret Wars 3 is coming, Jeff. Oh, God. I'm not joking. I know you're not crap. Uh, do you know what I do actually want to very quickly draw attention towards? Um, sure. I'm loving the Ron Friends covers in these issues. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that actually is worth pointing out because there, there, there was one I don't remember which one it was where I was like, "Oh, holy shit!" Like, uh, it might have been, it might have been three oh nine. There was just something super crazy about three oh nine and three oh eight that really knocked my socks off in fact because the first appearance of facade or facade uh is it really it conveys everything about the character in like 12 seconds i mean admittedly that character is annoyingly crazily racist so i mean maybe that's not much of a challenge but he's popping out of a tv set and is two-dimensional and you you get that you get that immediately yeah so you know. Yeah, the Run Friends covers are great. Next time on Baxter Building, we are going to be, let's see, we'll do issues 314 through, let's say, 324. I think that gets us through. Yeah, I think that I could be wrong. I think that gets us through a storyline. Okay. Uh, storylines start getting weirdly blurry. Mm -hmm. And I think you can kind of see that already. Yeah. 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 Um, 
but I think we get through like at least kind of a storyline. Uh, there's a bunch of fascinating stuff in the next few issues. Uh, there is, uh, there is a uh, yeah, there is the uh, three nineteen is Secret Wars issue, uh, Secret Wars three <laughs> featuring the Return of the Beyonder, Jeez. and then Mantis shows up. Ah, of course she does. Because it's Engelhart. I was about to say that there's something that really is the spirit of Mantis hanging over this so much. Um, but but yes, so I look I look forward to that. Yeah, so that that, that is what's coming up next, and it's uh, if anything even wackier than what we have just done. <laughs> wow, wow. Okay. Although, are arguably. I think we might be done with like the most dysfunctional, darkest part of the Engelhart run. Well, things, things get uh, <laughs> the Harkness. No, the Harkness issues are weird uh-huh. and dysfunctional in an entirely different way. But a lot of that is him writing against the editorial dictat. Uh-huh. Uh huh. But I think I think we're kind of done with the darkest bit of of his run. Okay. Well, I, I think things get weird from here on okay but not but also kind of brighter i'm relieved to hear that graham mcmillan and i want to believe you i might be misremembering things might get super dark next time who knows i'm saying secret wars 3 just wait for fucking secret wars 3 good god (laughs) can't even imagine while you're waiting i'm going to say the show notes for this episode are going to be up on monday at waywatpodcast.com. Also in Waywalk Podcast this week, there will be two more bits of me reading before Watchmen and, spoilers, utterly regretting both of them. Just to tell you that flat out. Uh, the net... I, I should actually look at what we're doing this week. We're doing... Uh, oh, shit. We're doing Comedian and Night Owl. So, yes. Ooh. Stuff to Regret is coming up. Mm. Um, I think that's all that's coming up in waywalkpodcast.com. Yes. This, I could be wrong. Uh, Matt Terrell may have a piece. I, I honestly do not know. Uh, there is also definitely going to be content on the Tumblr, waitwhatpod.tumblr.com. Uh, there, there may or may not be tweets on at waitwhatpodcast. <laughs> Who knows? Jeff will be tweeting himself at lazybassett, at L-A-Z-Y-B-A-S-T-I-D. I will be tweeting at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And we are a Patreon-supported podcast. Baxter Building exists purely because of the kindness of our Patreon supporters. And because I'm talking Patreon, Jeff Lester's going to talk right now. I am. Uh, Patreon people, you are the awesomest. Uh, Actually, all of our listeners are super awesome. So in theory, it seems like it's impossible to to top the pinnacle. And yet... Uh, we have to say the people on Patreon are like our listeners, super awesome, but also have have a special extra uh, something, which sadly translates into cold hard currency. Uh, that is a way to let us know that we are we are special and pretty. And um, you know, I gotta say, it works. It helps keep us uh, excited about each coming month. It it sort of gives us that sort of um, certain uh responsibility that uh you know we've 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 gotta we've gotta earn our keep um but generally it just helps keep us motivated uh the baxter building exists exactly and precisely because of a stretch goal uh that the patrons at patreon uh met and they're just 
they're just wonderful people, uh, especially the kind crew at American Art Studios and uh, Empress Audrey, Queen of the Galaxy. We're especially grateful for their continuing support of this very podcast. Graham? Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, because this really is going to be a long one when it's all edited together. Yeah, no kidding. Oof. Uh, I thought we were going to get through this super fast. Yeah. I was like, it's Engelhart. We're just going to zoom through it. And it said, because it's Engelhart, of course we talked longer. Yeah, exactly. Man, these, yeah. Are, these might be a, a long few episodes in the future. Yeah. But th- this is why you tune in. To That's right. Podcast, yeah. mm-hmm. Everyone, right? Come on. Uh, we're going to be back in a month with some more Baxter building with some more Steve Englehart with more Jeff and I reading into things probably far too much. Yep. And with that, I like Jeff has to sing us out. That's right. Thank you so much, everyone. Uh, and we will see you next time in the lobby of the Baxter building.